You're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hello, friends, and welcome. Glad you could join me on this Memorial Day 2023. My special guest is Emmanuel Paris. He is from Trinidad and Tobago originally, but mostly Toronto. He was an Olympian Canadian sprinter, and he provides a lot of insight on this podcast episode, the sort of insight that people pay a lot of money for. So I took a lot of notes. I hope you get a chance to do so too. One of the notes I had gotten before we actually recorded, which is if there were just three exercises that you could do to stay in shape or get in shape, what would they be? And I got this from Huberman Lab or Andrew Huberman. He was on Tim Ferriss's podcast. And the answer was sprinting. Another was dips. It's just coming to me. I think another one was maybe a a deadlift of some sort, a compound movement. But I found sprinting to be so interesting because there was a time throughout human history where I'm sure, should we be chased by a tiger on the savannah, that we had to run upright and get the hell out of there as fast as possible. And what better way than to sprint? And... It's the reason we have ass, actually. I don't know if many people know that, but it is so that we can run and escape, and it keeps us upright and going. And my guest today is an expert on the technique of running, and I would sacrifice a digit to have known him as an 8th, ninth, 10th grader so that I could perfect the techniques of, of running Because I had no clue what I was doing. I was just running like I was running from the police. And it sometimes worked out for me. I stole stole bases and stuff like that. But maybe I would have stole a lot more if I had perfected my craft. But I didn't know where to go for that stuff. Well, now you'd go to Coach Powell. Our conversation is much broader than just performance-specific. Although that is his specialty... Uh, high performance, we have a wide-ranging discussion from dating, relationships, travel, stoicism, emotional intelligence, the sort of things that we enjoy talking about. And you'll you'll hear how much it costs to live in Mexico, where he is now. We talk about how it's hard for him to date because... He'll be approached by OnlyFans girls in both Miami, where he lived, and in Mexico now, asking him to be a prop. Like, hey, will you join my next session? I have a client who is requesting interracial, that sort of thing, because he's a big old black dude. I mean, the biggest, biggest black dude you've ever seen in your life. Basically, And the reason I know that is because my wife came home from the grocery store one night and she said, I saw the guy you recorded for the podcast. 
And I said, how can you be so sure? And she said, because he's the biggest guy I've ever seen in my life. He fit, he fit the criteria <laughs> that you told me about him. And I said, yeah, yeah. It was confirmed later that she indeed saw him. So great discussion. I want to say thank you to our sponsor, and the acronym is ITCS. I'm also an investor because when your first VA turns out to be a star, because according to her, she would really listen to what was being said on this podcast for which she was paid to take notes. She just got the entrepreneurial bug. And special thanks to Man Overseas One-on-One Coaching, which has been more than I could have hoped for. It gets better every year, and that's because the caliber of client gets better every year. So thank you to my clients. But for me, it's like laying out on the hood of my car, and I'm at the end of the runway. Like What I'm watching is these guys' careers, and a few girls, and relationships, and bank accounts, and investments, and their spiritual life just take off. And shoo, like one after another. And it's fucking beautiful. So thank you to the stud clients that I have who have bought into the fundamental blocking and tackling that I've implemented with them and in my own life. And it's enabled them to accomplish so much in so little time. And we're going to have a retreat later this year. I gave a sneak peek on Instagram stories into what we're looking at. It is legit. I haven't nailed down the place yet, but I've narrowed it down to where I can tell you what is chosen will be righteous and badass. (laughs) Not to mention, we will be leaving the country for this. This isn't some middle-of-the-mall shit where we go to Rockford, Missouri. No, we're going to do it right. So I believe I've said enough. I want you to enjoy this conversation between Coach Powell and I as much as I did. And if you would be so kind, please take a few seconds out of your day to rate and review the show, comment, share it with a buddy, whatever you feel like doing. And of course, if there's anything that I can ever do for you to make your life better, shoot me a message on Instagram at man underscore overseas. Mr. Paris is at the real coach pal LFG because I don't want to I don't want to share too much. This is a wide ranging discussion and, and we just get after it and talk about a lot. So I hope you enjoy. Coach Powell, thank you for being here, man. Thank you for having me. We are in Playa del Carmen. It is Probably as hot as it's ever been <laughs> that I've been here, and I've been here a couple dozen times. I thought, I thought for sure, what are we in April? Would be cooler. It's not. Yeah. How do you deal with this, man? You just have to hydrate. I know a lot of the locals don't really play around with the AC, or at least some people who I've I've had conversations with. But me and the air conditioning unit are best friends. When I get inside, it's like. It's expensive, though, right, to have air conditioning? I'm in Airbnbs. It's included. So, yeah, yeah, I'm in an Airbnb. I was happy to see that they didn't charge me based on the use. I'm trying not to be an asshole about it. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I'm not home. I turn it off. More often than not, I actually keep the blinds closed. And then just challenge myself to spend time outside and exposure to sunlight. 
try and get a spectrum of sunlight. So I'll get out in the morning, I'll get out in the afternoon, and again, before the sun goes down. So a lot of Airbnbs, if you stay for a month or longer, will charge you a deposit and then take the electricity out of the deposit. So you're saying that you've stayed for an extensive period of time at Airbnbs? Yeah, this is like the fourth Airbnb that I've I've stayed in in the Mm. last two and a half months. Okay. So I've bounced around a bit. Good for you. I was staying a little too far from Centro, which is where all the action is, or my action, the gym, the track, all that walking. I dropped weight so fast. It really? was unbelievable. What yeah. do you weigh, dude? Right now, about 225, 225 pounds. Okay. So two of the last three guests that I've had, including Coach Powell, have been fucking monsters. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are the biggest guys in the gym. I'm not joking. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's true. Yeah. I don't know much about you, though. Where are you from? Born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Oh, nice. So in the cold north, raised by a Caribbean family. Like, parents were born in Trinidad and Tobago. So it was like raised as like a, you know, I got that. The Caribbean roots are very strong. Toronto was home. And then I just bounced around a lot for mainly education, for scholastics, for school. What kind of schooling? Uh, Well, just what everybody else would go through. Elementary schools in Toronto, Secondary school, Toronto, but then I went to University of Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. The Salukis. Yeah, the, exactly. There you go, the Salukis. So I was a Saluki for a little period of time, and then I ended up transferring to a school in Canada, in Quebec. So where I ended up becoming proficient in French. Wow. And so I was, yeah, living in Quebec. And after Quebec, I moved to Edmonton, Alberta, which mm. is where track and field was like the big piece of my life. I moved there to become a professional athlete. And that saw me through to the Olympics and, and then eventually into what I do today. So power and performance consultant was what I used to call it. But so I don't confuse people. I tell them I'm a high performance coach. And if they're still confused, I'm a fitness coach who works on, I say, high performance habits. You get to the Olympics. Tell me about that. That story is like, it doesn't hurt me anymore. It hurt for a little period of time. I'd say about two, three years, but I didn't end up competing at the games. So I was qualified as a part of the men's 4 by 100 meter relay team. They take the top six from the, the 100 meter finals at your national champs. They take the top four, obviously the top four who will field. And then the next two are the, the, the alternates. So I ended up coming fourth at trials, qualifying me to be on the 4 by one relay. And while I was at the games, I ended up getting sick. One of the guys on the team, Tino, so his, he was sick. I didn't room with him, but I was right next door. His roommate didn't get sick, but it was me. It wasn't and, uh, nerves, was it? I don't think so. Ultimately, I think the reason why you get sick is the immune system is compromised beyond what it's able to. It's compromised enough that the guards down and whatever was hanging around, lingering pathogens, they get in and they just start to wreak havoc. So there's something that I did to suppress my system. I don't think it was like the psychosomatic, psychosomatic. stress. Could have been nerves. Was your dad ambitious? How do you end up in... Toronto from Trinidad and Tobago. That's a long story that I still don't completely know. Like I just spent some time with my grandfather in Brooklyn and he has a lot of that story. It was one of those things like I had my, I think it was my grandmother. My mother's mother ended up in Toronto. So it was, and her sisters all ended up in Toronto. It was like Mm. the grass is greener on the other side thing. And then the allure was like, my mom was like, okay, I have to go there too. My dad was actually really good friends with my uncle, my mother's brother, before they became my father and followed suit. 
I know Toronto's a hop skip away, but there's this very big Caribbean community in Toronto. Very, very big. And do you have siblings? Plenty, yeah. How many? I have three sisters and one brother, but I, I grew up with one sister. Okay. Grew up with one sister and then my father had a few other kids, but we're all, we're all close now, which is awesome. So you have an Instagram post, which let me share your Instagram because you're definitely worth a follow. Yeah, thank you. At the real coach pal, and that's pal P O W at the real coach pal. I'll pause so you guys can hit the follow button. <laughs> you have this post and it's a voiceover. It yeah. sounds like you. I don't know if it's you or not, but it says, My mama said, Be careful out there. I'm worried about you. And I said, Mama, worry about them. Yeah. I freaking <laughs> love that. Yeah. It, is that your voice? No, that actually that one's not my voice. It's not. You yeah, found it. I, when I found it, I was like, I should re-record this with my own voice. Yes. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to pay homage to whoever it is that the originator of this yeah, one, and I'm going to yeah. I'm going to use it. So, but Solid. I love that one because it, it actually is. that was my mom. My mom was a big warrior, big mm, time. Mine too. And that kind of rubbed off on me, and so I had a lot of work to do in that area, and I still have work to do in that mm. area. You know, like so, anxiety. I can't really call it that. It's weird. Like you put me in a big room, bunch of people. I'm not sweating. You put me on the spot. I might sweat a little bit, but it's like, I don't get anxious about the things that people with anxiety get anxious over. Mm -hmm. Not agoraphobic, whatever, that kind of stuff. But it's like second guessing. Some people say it's a sign of the Libra, like the balance. It's like, you're always, uh, uh, you're looking at things from many different perspectives. So then you end up getting confused by where like which stance you should be so it's like you got to be polarized but it's like sometimes i'm like too impartial and then i end up worrying about how i'm presenting myself and then there's a bit of that old school me which was like the people pleaser if you're standing in the middle it's like both sides are like what the fuck that people pleasing stuff you have to end that yeah as yeah. soon as you're mature enough to realize that that's going to get you nowhere thank you thank you what and is hamstring poppy <laughs> Okay, that's the hashtag on my face. So hamstring poppy is an old nickname because I have mm. abnormal sized hamstrings. I've had juiced up bodybuilders approach me and be like, I'm trying to get my hamstrings big. I don't know what the hell you did. And I always have to tell them, these things came from the track. I didn't really? do a leg curl, deadlift, none of that stuff. It was, we would sprint. And the biggest part was the upright sprinting. That's what stresses the hamstring the most. Interesting. And my running style was a bit unorthodox, and that's why my hamstrings look the way they do. Do you know Andrew Huberman? Yeah, okay. I know of him. Yeah, I Great to podcast. Him. Yeah, yeah. He was saying the other day that if he only had to do three exercises, one of them was sprinting. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. Tom Bilio had a... Uh, I can't remember the name of his podcast. It Tom might, Bilio. He's it might the, be the Tom Bilio podcast. Yeah, I don't it. know. I but. think that's it, actually. He had Stan Efferding on there. Stan Efferding, like, renowned strongman, competed in bodybuilding, currently coaches John Jones, who's apparently a distant relative of mine. So John Jones, the UFC fighter. Yeah. So anyways, uh, Stan Efferding was on the show and he said the same thing. He was like, he, he related it more to the young athlete and said, if there's something that you can do for the young athlete with their future self in mind, get them to sprint. That's awesome. The highest form of human expression, the levels of coordination that it takes. It's, it's such a spectral thing to do or... Misnomer, I'll say trans, the transference is really high. And I found that in my career, like working with athletes, teach them how to sprint, no matter what the sport, they end up getting better. It's, sometimes it's a hard pill to shove down other people's throats who are very old school and stuck in their ways. I can 
talk about some issues with the people who like, as soon as I start telling the story, the people will know that I'm talking about them. But let's say I worked with a particular organization for some time and these athletes don't run in their sport. But when I was coaching them to sprint, teaching them how to run and be very dynamic, whether it be acceleration phase starting off or running upright very fast, the athletes were more springy, therefore jumping higher. They just moved better. And when you have someone who moves better, you have a greater inventory of exercises you can give them. So you can make them smarter by teaching them how to run, run fast or sprint. But the coaches, we had a limited amount of time. So the coaches were like, well, we want you to train our athletes and make the training look like the sport we perform. So we want you to specialize when it comes to the strength conditioning. So I acquiesced and I, I or capitulated, gave up and basically did what they were asking, the people pleaser. And over the course of a couple of years, the program went from I was creating really good athletes who were very excited about training to athletes who didn't really care to be there, who were always injured, mm. had a lot of injuries, so mm. much so that I like about that job, I started to feel down. I don't yeah. want to use the word depressed or anything. I'll say I felt compressed and I was sad because I felt like I wasn't giving them what I wanted. The payday was pretty good, but it came a point where I stopped caring about that. I was like, I don't care to get that kind of money if this is what I'm doing to the athletes. Cause I felt responsible. I'm doing this. I'm getting them hurt. I should stand up and say, Hey, I'm not going to do it this way. This is not the coach power. <laughs> yeah. The reason we have ass is to run. Isn't yeah, that true? Yeah. yeah. The <laughs> so I was in a documentary with Dr. David Suzuki. He has that documentary called the nature of things. It's okay. like a series. And this series I appeared in was called the nature of things. The perfect runner. I wasn't the perfect runner. One of my teammates was, but in it, they talk about the ass being that key to running, like the reason why we have an ass, yeah. why we're upright and we can locomote fast. Then Smithsonian Channel took that same documentary and like with permission from the directors, they changed it up a bit. I think the focus was, it had something to do with butt in the title. And awesome. then it's a picture of me. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> like, yes. <laughs> that is great. So, so you're an ass man. Yeah, I am. I, I've got to be. Yeah, yeah. I'm an yeah. ass man. I, the thing is this, I'm a picky ass man because of the sport that I was in. Like you're in track and field. You see some of the most fit bodies on the planet. Yeah. And a little more insight. My ex-girlfriend, first girlfriend ever was a, a sprinter. She was a national champion in Canada mm. and like great physique. Oh, great I'm sure. but great sat physique. up like a donkey, like yeah, a giraffe. Yeah, and <laughs> I got accustomed to that. So then if I didn't see that, I was like, ah, my interest isn't sparked. Uh-huh. So, it, so it's taken me a long time like uh-huh. to, to change my standard uh-huh. in what kind of physique that I can be aroused by, so uh-huh. to speak. Oh, you know? man. But, yeah. Um, yeah, the butts and track and feel are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to teach the rest of the world that, though, without trying, like, not trying to be a corny salesman. But it's like, I see so many, the most popular exercise amongst women at this point, I think, is the hip thrust. And yes. I think it's a good exercise. That's is, where they lay on the ground and then throw their hips up with yeah. weight, like a barbell laying across their pelvis. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and it's a good exercise. Now, is it a great exercise? Maybe, depending on how you use it. But I'm seeing people really load up on that exercise. Mm -hmm. The range of motion, if you look at it, it's very, very short. Very short range of motion. And cool. Time under tension, like the amount of stress that the tissue was under in that exercise is very limited. So I say like a great way to use it is to expose yourself to a ton of volume. So if you're going to go heavy, 
and you have time, get in 10 sets, 10 mm. sets of four or five, the heaviest thing that you can lift or close to the heaviest thing you can lift. As long as you're not messing with your mechanics and you can feel the load in the glutes or get under that bar and do two sets of 20 or three sets of 20 and just destroy the tissue, but get some volume on that sucker. You realize how lucky you are to have this track right here? Yeah. Because where I live, it is yeah. so hard to find a place to sprint, and sprinting on a treadmill is not the same. No, no, not at all. No. But you agree with Huberman that sprinting would be a top three exercise if you had somebody that wanted to either shed weight or yeah. get rocked up. or Yeah, yeah. Like there's the secondary byproduct from sprinting is like there's going to be some strength gains. That's the byproduct of sprinting. Crazy. In my group, six athletes in my high-performance group of track and field when I was an athlete. So I was a member of this group. And I could tell you that remembering how heavy everybody could either bench or squat. I didn't squat back then because of my back or fear of back injury. But we were all crazy strong. I was 185 pounds, able to bench 355 as a sprinter. I I had another teammate who had kind of like a, he'll hate me if he hears this, but a bit of a beer belly. (laughs) Everyone bugged him about it. He could bench 265 without a problem. And he was not a strong guy by any, he didn't look like a strong guy by any stretch. Another guy in the group, Tyler Christopher, just wired, very, very skinny, but very wired. Could toss a medicine ball farther than you could see. Could throw up weight that would just surprise you in a squat, a step up, whatever. So the neuromuscular work or stimulus that you get from sprinting from such a high velocity activity does something crazy. There's a ton of science and all that stuff, but I'll just say from personal experience, just uh, the moment I started adapting to high-level sprinting was the moment or the time where I was able to start dunking. Like, mm. I couldn't dunk before, and I was, like, very anxious about that because kids in my neighborhood could all dunk. Some mm. of them were my height. Mm. There was a few who were, yeah, the ones who were my height could dunk. What so, are you, 5'10"? Five, 5'9 five, and a half. That's some ups, dude. Yeah, I just, like... That's Spud web shit. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing. I just... It took a while. It was like my first, second year university. You're still nervous around that time. No one was around. Grabbed a basketball, ran up to the net, boom, dunked. And was like, holy. Like, mm. what's changed? I'm the same height. I'm heavier. As a sprinter, you're doing plyometric training. We're bounding, boom, boom, tripling, low amplitude plyometrics, high amplitude. Achilles tendon is thickening. Calves getting a little bit bigger. It's amazing. If I can brag about myself a little bit, yeah, I was me. really fast when I was young, oh, and I could jump. So I remember I moved from Louisiana to Texas in eighth grade, and the basketball coach had a tryout. This was the tryout for me because he had heard about me, and he put me at the top of the key. He bounced me the ball from the free throw line, and he said, take me to the hole. And I did like a little AI kind of thing where I acted like I was going right, and I went left, <laughs> I and AI. I did a layup, and I and I hit the back of my fingers on the backboard as an eighth grader. I probably haven't grown an inch since eighth grade. Oh, wow. But for a little white guy to be able yeah. to do that, that was something serious. <laughs> but I've always been fast. I mean, like in college, if we ran sprints, I would come in first. If we ran distance, I would come in last. And my yeah. theory was always, well, I'd rather look like a sprinter than a distance yeah, runner. Yeah. So what you're saying just totally rings true about building yeah. muscle and everything. So if... The average, let's call him a sales guy, the yeah. guy selling insurance who's 35 years old is listening to this right now, yeah. and he hears you say, oh, sprinting needs to be one of my top priorities. Yeah. How do you start? Like, Is he running hundreds? Is he running 50s, 40s, 60s? I would start him off on a hill. The mechanics on a hill 
are what you want on the flat. Now, having someone run up the hill, I don't have to say much. Having someone just start off running fast on the flat, it's going to be a little bit harder. Also, uphill, it slows them down. So the velocity is going to be a little bit slower. The potential for injury is a lot less. So that's where I would have them start. Hill sprints with like maybe a five degree grade, maybe a little bit, I'd say around a five, six degree grade and getting them to run 30, 40 meters. So know. what kind of instrument do they go outside with to measure this hill? Oh. For the- <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, what you could do to make it simple is you could take 20 large paces up the hill. There are 25 large paces up the hill. Okay. You know, boom, boom, boom. But you talked about degrees and that's... Oh, uh, oh yeah. Oh, excuse me. So for the degree, that you're going to have to eyeball that. Okay. It's one of those things like I'd say grab your protractor, <laughs> take a look at what five <laughs> degrees looks like. Okay. And then just you have to juxtapose, like compare yeah. that to the hill. And then put the protractor yeah. back in your front pocket and, and get to sprinting. I'm big on running hills too. Yeah. My wife and I used to do it a lot more before we had the baby, but yeah. we lived in New Orleans for a little over a year, right by the levee near the Mississippi River. And that was like okay. the perfect yeah, hill. Yeah. Tell me, is, is there any benefit? I mean, I'm sure there is, Yeah, but I don't know if this is my natural inclination because when I was in college, when we would sprint, we'd run one tens and then we'd turn around and jog backwards. And mm-hmm. he said that ensured strength of balance in our legs. Now, that was the only place I'd ever heard that, and it it makes sense when you hear it. So when I run hills naturally, and maybe I've seen other people do this, I will walk backwards down the hill. Yeah. Any truth to what I'm saying? Uh, Is that worth doing? There's one individual who's revered in the sprinting industry or track and field. I shouldn't say just sprinting, but in the sport of track and field, who is somewhat of a proponent to that, if I could say this, and that's Dan Paff. He was a coach at Texas. He was coach at the University of Florida. Coached Marion Jones. Like uh, strength and conditioning coach? Uh, excuse me, tra- uh, sprint coach. And he's actually coached the throws. Mm. So he's had like world-class Olympic medalists and shot put all the way to the fastest woman in the world, Marion Jones, to Donovan Bailey, a Canadian Olympian who won it in Atlanta. But he uses backwards jogging, backwards activities to assess the body. Obviously, you can assess the body in forward mechanics, but he picks out asymmetries and faulty mechanical patterns watching people move backwards. He does it in a very unique way. I'm still like, I was introduced to that coaching a long time ago. And then that just started coming back to me again because he actually had a, he posted it on social media. He was an older gentleman, perhaps a bit out of touch with the young generation. But when I saw one of his posts online and saw what it was, him talking about the backwards mechanics. I was like, ah, interesting. I know it has a lot to do with, you could say like pination. Like if you're taking a look at what's happening at the glute, excuse me, at the hip. If someone is lacking relative motion in terms of an internal or external rotation of, let's say the thigh, that's supposed to happen based on where you are in your stance. If you're limited in that, he said he believes it's easier to pick it up when watching someone move backwards. So... I say the table test is a good way, but which is the table test would be like therapists getting someone to lay on a bench and they're, they're having them move through a particular range of motion, like asking them to raise their leg, the leg raise, boom. Oh, you should be getting to 90, but you're only at 30. That's a big problem. You know, then you follow up with another test to see what's happening with the hip flexors and so on and Mm. so forth or adductor inside thigh drop test. And that can start giving you more information. The problem with that is you're laying on the ground. Gravity's not acting on you in the same way, but then you stand them up and have them move. Now you may get a little bit more information. It's higher risk, 
So you're now going to deal with certain, I'll say, identity crisis. So you have someone lay down, there's no threat. That's how I usually start people who've had like some serious injuries. Mm. You come to me, you, something's going on. I know that you're going to be very nervous about raising your arm if you had a serious shoulder injury, even though the therapist has said you're ready to start strength training. Mm. So I'll lay on the ground and have you do shoulder exercises. The threat is lessened. There's less inhibition. It's the moment I get you to stand up, now you have these posture muscles that are active, but you're also like, oh, I'm up. Yeah. Like, this is a little bit different. So you now have other things that you're going to have to deal with, like the emotional state which influences range of motion. We talked earlier about anxiety. One of the things, I don't know if it's true anxiety, but I get anxious about being too soon old and too late smart, about a vast range of areas in life. And so I'm always trying to study this, that, this, like GPT-3 has come out, yeah, right? And yeah. I'm like, oh shit, do I need to be on this? Yeah. Do I need to learn about GPT-4? You yeah. know? Because I don't want to fall behind, yeah, and I, I'm competitive that way. So I would do anything, speaking of too soon, old, too late, smart, I'd do anything to go back and have this conversation as a 15-year-old. Because like you, you've obviously got a frame upon which you've built a dude's jack. Like, <laughs> yeah. we'll, I'll post pics to promote the episode. You'll see. Like, I would do anything to go back and learn the proper technique of running because yeah. if I told you, like, my 40 time as a 13-year-old, you'd be like... What were you running? I'm embarrassed to say. Like, oh, okay. Like, 4-4, four, 4-4-2 four, 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 as for a 13-year-old. For your... What distance? Yeah, 40-yard dash. That's like... Yeah. That's Stupid. I jumped 18 foot 6 is, as wow. an 8th grader. Okay, yeah, you definitely have the spring. You yes, got the, yeah. I have the, the run yeah, and the jump. Rate, yeah. I do. I joked about you being a black guy yesterday because yeah, you yeah. work with all these professional hockey players. Yeah. <laughs> but I was the one who was always told, like, I should have been the black guy. Yeah. You probably should have been the white guy. <laughs> but it, it's, it's crazy. And, and it was, I think, came from every time I walked around my grandparents' house or I passed a basketball goal, I would jump and touch the door frame. Yeah. Or if they had any kind of chandelier hanging, I'm yeah. jumping and touching yeah. it. Or I would run from the front door of the inside of my house to the back of the house, down the hall, juke my parents' room, go into my room, and then jump up over the pile into the end zone, which was my bed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That kind of thing. That's play. Yes. That's play. And that's all I did all the time. That's I just important. had so much energy. And yeah. I think that's where, and I rode my bike a lot. Yeah. And if you've seen my calves, I yeah, mean, yeah, most of it, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's pretty natural. Yeah. I would give anything to go back. I mean, I would pay a lot of money to go back and have these conversations yeah. at that age, which is why I think it's so important to have one-on-one -on -one personal coaching. Get someone who's specific to your circumstances. Because yeah. you and I had the conversation, Coach Powell, man, you might, you might be giving away too much for free. <laughs> but I'm railing against myself here, too, because I do coaching and we obviously don't do the same type of coaching. So you can hire us both, but it would be for two different things. You said that that is something that you were concerned about at one time, yeah, right? Giving yeah. away too much for free. Most definitely have had. I actually had a mentor back in the day. I can hear him in my head now. Giving too much away for free. Yeah, I would coach. And after coaching... A lot of the parents who were kind of like enamored by my presence or whatever, that's how they would behave. They'd come and I'd chat with them for like an hour and a half, 20 minutes with this parent, 20 minutes with that parent. 
And not, I'm not just talking about how their kid's performing. I'm telling them what more they can do at home with food and this and communication with their kid. And one of the parents was like, I feel like slapping you. You know, he's very outspoken, bad mouth too, right? <laughs> but I was like, there was some respect there. Like he was a bit blunt and would step across the line in certain areas, talking about sex life and stuff. I'm like, I don't care to hear this. But the thing about him, the moment he talked about business, mm. I had the craziest amount of respect for this, mm. for this gentleman. And he would say like, you're giving away too much for free. You are too available. And by mm. making yourself too available, you are going to cheapen yourself. He's like, you want people to take you seriously? You have to, there, you need to create a little bit of scarcity. And when it comes to your presence, yes. but that also means valuing your time. That's, I mean, instead of sitting here chatting with them for an hour and a half, because you feel like you're, you're doing something, you're giving it away for free. So they're going to know you as the free guy. Well, you have the heart of a teacher yeah. and you enjoy serving others on the same way. That's why we do what we do. Yeah. That's what makes the other part of it so hard. The business side. Yes. yes. I told you the other day, I had a guy who's probably referred me as many clients as anyone who told me, you know, I wasn't going to work with you if you charged me $1 more than an amount that I had in my head. And I said, what, what amount was that? He said, you sure you want me to tell you? I said, yeah. He goes, 1500 I said, 1500 a month? He said, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I need to raise my prices. Yeah, yeah. I've been coaching for five years. If you had hired me in that first year, <laughs> you would have gotten me for a price that is about 20 to 25 percent of what you'd pay today. Yeah. He's changed my life yeah. because he's the reason I've raised my prices. And I don't know if it's coincidence or what, but as soon as I did, I got a higher caliber of client and I'm making way more money than I ever anticipated. I'm supposed to be retired, yeah. but what I do in coaching covers the bills yeah. by far. So. Yeah. Anyway, I like it. I like those stories. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sometimes that's what it takes. It's like it might take someone to just flash the light on you for a quick second for you to see what it is that you're holding. Mm. It's like you're in the dark and there's you're clothed in something or draped in something. And that's your greatness. But you don't see it because you're you normalize carrying it. And then someone flashes the light and you look at yourself and you go, holy shit. That is so true. You know, because and you and I also had the conversation about when somebody buys 45 minutes from you, yeah. they're not buying that 45 minutes. Thank you. They're buying the last 20 Thank years. You. Yeah. I have a really good friend. He got into fitness coaching later than I did, about maybe five, six years later. In our relationship, he's very spiritual. So there's a lot that I learned from him on that side. And then when it comes to like the business coaching and like just the fitness industry, like I've shared a lot of info with him. I watch him with his greatness and I see some of the things that are going on. The information I'm sharing with him is always something that I can continue to use for myself in my business. An example, your value comes from your identity. If you don't see how valuable you are, then you have an issue. You're going to be surrounded by people who see you at whatever value you present. And then it's this vicious circle of like, you will always get stuck. You will always stay there. So it takes for you to like step aside, create scarcity, get to work on yourself to reevaluate, rediscover, and hopefully grow from that introspection to move forward. Folks, I had planned to ask him about dating, but it yeah. seems like he's accelerated that conversation. <laughs> but no, I, I want to talk more about fitness because yeah. you are so knowledgeable. How did you get into fitness in the beginning? I mean, was it, it through athletics? With, yeah, it started off with athletics. I actually wanted to be a forensic scientist. And <laughs> like Michael Bodden? Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. And it's like, 
I ended up at school in, in Quebec. They didn't have the program. And I, quote unquote, settled for the second line, which was physical education, teaching, kinesiology. At the time, I was kind of by myself when it came to training. I had a track and field coach who wasn't at the university. He was back home in Toronto. I was in Quebec. I didn't train with the club team, with the university team. I had my own program. My coach was a very busy guy, so sometimes I got the program, sometimes I didn't. But I never made an excuse. I'll figure out what I need to do. And how do I do that? I study. Mm. So I became a student of the game. I dealt with injuries. And they were all very minor, luckily. But when I would get injured, I would try and find what I need to do. And I wouldn't just go to a textbook. I also relied on feeling. I'm very, I'm creative. Like I have a little side hustle in the fashion industry as well, but that creative expression, I bring it everywhere. So in track and fields or even in coaching now, I'm always trying to figure out how I can get things done in a very effective manner without wasting people's time. So to, to make a long story even longer, I got into it because I just loved it. I loved the troubleshooting game. I loved what it feels like, not just the desired outcome, achieving a desired outcome, but the journey. And like what it does to you, it makes you smarter. So I had an injury. How you get out of that injury, you get smarter. Well, it not only makes you smarter about the injury, it sharpens your mind. Yeah, exactly. When you're in yeah. good physical fitness, yeah. it reduces anxiety. Yeah. I mean, there's so many benefits to working out. Big time. I can't understand not working out or making time for it. Yeah. I don't care if you have 11 kids. You know what I tell my family? I'm going to the gym so that I can be a better husband and father. Yeah, that's that's so true. Actually, a question that I recently asked on Instagram was I related dating to fitness and asked followers the question, is fitness compatibility relevant in your dating world? You know, and 89 percent of the people said yes, that they wow. prefer fitness compatibility. If not, it creates contention. It creates problems. I wonder if that would be higher or lower than political affiliation. Ah, yeah. I'll bet you it's about 89% nowadays. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially ever since COVID. Yeah. (laughs) Like... That's interesting. Yeah. Like, friendship pools have changed dramatically. I've watched that happen. It's the same thing when you think fitness compatibility, political compatibility, or political belief compatibility, and then you have class. You know, like social class? Like won't, yeah, who won't date outside their class and oh. things like that. So I feel like it, perhaps the percentage may not be quite the same, but there's so many different criteria that people will handle yeah. in order to determine who their partner is going to be or who they want. It's hard to determine class nowadays, though, now, yeah, because yeah. you can have a Lambo on Instagram yeah. and then return <laughs> it to the rental store the next day. <laughs> I've seen it. I was, so I was in Miami for 10 months. Oh, like, uh, really? So my Living there? 10 months? Yeah, yeah. Why? It was just vacation. <laughs> nice. <laughs> craziest, so, yeah. craziest story from Miami. Oh, my goodness. This is a sad story. Courtney, I can't remember her last name. She's an OnlyFans model, big on Instagram, 2 million followers. She kills her boyfriend. I was on the 52nd floor in the penthouse. She lived on the 22nd floor. We shared a private elevator. I come home from the gym, I see police cars everywhere, and I'm like, hmm, what's going on? This doesn't look normal with the amount of police officers that were, or vehicles that were around. Concierge comes up, very eccentric guy. We always chat with him, and he's like, hey, something happened here. It's not good. They may be pulling a body out of the building. I'm like, 
what? Immediately my mind went to this couple because I'd seen them before. Just think, 52 floors like, and immediately your mind went to yeah, a certain yeah. couple. Yeah. So Had you seen him hit her or something? No, no. And that's the thing. I thought he was the one beating her. Only to find out later that she was the one usually beating on him. Wow. Uh, doesn't mean that he never hit her. You know, someone from the building across the way could see into their unit or closer to the unit and said he saw him raise his hand to her face. But anyways, yeah, found out that she plunged or somehow a knife ended up, you know, just kind of like behind his, his clavicle, like straight down and punctured his heart. What, are you his attorney? Or? <laughs> Somehow sure. a knife ends up in his clavicle. I don't know. I don't. I haven't been following the case, so I don't uh, know. But she, she. T- the report was that she threw the knife, mm, and then I have off the building. Yeah, <laughs> is that right? Exactly. No, I'm asking. So no, off it, the building. Is that what happened? No, she. Like they were in the unit together. They were in their suite together. Okay. And the neighbors from the 23rd floor. I know. I know them. They called the front desk, say, hey, another noise complaint, because this couple, they had quite a few issues. So they even picked up footage of her beating on him in the elevator. That They released that after to help his case. So 2301 calls, hey, noise disturbance, concierge goes up, and no one's answering the door, but there's blood everywhere. The blood's in the room where the private elevator opens up. So he didn't die. And yeah, You he- said help his case. Oh, yeah, right. Sorry. Right. Yes, he did die. He died. It's just like to help, excuse me, help, to weigh against her. Okay. Proving that she murdered him, uh, not in self-defense. So I'm telling the story, right? So anyways, they go up to the unit and there's blood everywhere. So he calls security and then tells security, you need to call the cops. So security arrives and he said it took a while for security to arrive. I'm talking to the concierge, so banging on the door and eventually security comes. And then he says he starts yelling police. Police, and then that's when she opened the door. Place was just drenched in blood. Jeez. And yeah, he saw the knife in there, and he describes the story. There was quite a bit of details. When I got home, I took the. I didn't know about the elevator, and I'm used to taking the private elevator. So I go over to that one. Boom! I hit it. Elevator door opens up. Blood everywhere. Oh my god! Yeah. What How many of you have access to this elevator? Basically, from the exempt, eight and nine. Eight and nine. Eight is like the fitness center, massage, spa. Nine was like the works, workspace, piano room, all that kind of stuff. All the way up to 53. There's 53 floors. Okay. So, everybody in a 01 unit. So, basically, 5301 all the way down to 201 uh, without eight and nine have access to this elevator. And I was surprised that they didn't shut it down. Yeah. Like, I actually got in the elevator and I took a picture. Yeah. To send it that's to a my crime friend, scene. My family. There's blood everywhere. You could just walk in this elevator and leave prints. Oh my God. Yeah. And then the craziest thing was a day later, I'm going home and they cleaned up the private elevator. I'm going up and this guy hops in the elevator with me, but he, he was already standing at the elevator and he's just standing there. You need a fob to get into the elevator. He doesn't have one. So elevator door opens up. I walk in, I fob my floor, 52. He goes to hit his floor and it's not going. I'm like, you need a fob. So I, I have a universal fob set. So mm-hmm. Then he hits it. And I'm thinking, 22, that's Courtney's floor and Christian. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's going onto that floor. I'm wondering, why is he going there? And he's dressed in all black. 
So I look at him and I go, you're going to 22? And he, he looks at me, he's like, yeah. Like he looks worried. Elevator doors open up and he walks in and he grabs, a, he has his bucket there. So he was cleaning the unit. And the look he gave me was like, like he was in shock. So he. I opens, thought you were gonna say he was the coroner. Or no, something. no. So he was the cleaner. So he opens. <laughs> cleaner. Yeah. So he he grabs his bucket before the doors close. The unit door was the main door was already slightly open. He pushes it open even more, and I could just see the mess. Oh my god! Like, well, there was someone else in there cleaning as well, and I was like, "Wow, that sucks." That story was not premeditated, folks. I just yeah. asked him for a story from Miami. <laughs> Yeah. What's the last name? So if I wanted to Google the story. I can't remember his last name, but the guy's name was Christian. The girl's name is Courtney. Okay. But you can type in OnlyFans model murder's boyfriend. It pops up. How many OnlyFans models lived in that building, you think? Oh, my goodness. Our building was actually pretty good, despite that story. There was quite a few in the buildings in that community. There's there's a number of them. There was that, the building I was in was uh, One Paraiso. There was Grand Paraiso, Bayviews. And there you had a few more. You had some OnlyFans girls who were like very successful. No, but based on the things that you saw them wearing and think the cars they drove, I shouldn't say successful. I'll say they seem to have accrued certain assets, yeah. or maybe liabilities, that give <laughs> the impression that they're making a lot of money. Oh man, Miami! There's no way you could pay me yeah. to live there. I, I met some really cool people. Like some of my top friends are in Miami. I still chat with them every day. Like I met them while I was out there. Like some two people, one in particular, I'll say three very real people. Like I'd say these are probably going to be best friends that I have a long time. Wow. Yeah. So So how do you get from a place like Miami where the cost of living is probably one of the highest in the world to a place like Playa del Carmen, a small beach town in Mexico? Well, I was only allowed to be in the U.S. for for an extended period of time. So I, once that time was getting ready to expire, I went back to Canada and Canada was just too cold. Not only that, like I left the city where I had spent 13 years, Edmonton, Alberta, and was looking to get back to my roots in Toronto because I promised myself I would have more family time. But family was, we're happy that you're here, but go and live your life. So I was just a little upset with the cold weather (laughs) and decided to just take off again. It was between Bali and Playa del Carmen. You told me that. And I was going to ask about that because if I had a chance, I could ask this a lot. If you could live somewhere for six months starting tomorrow, where would it be? Bali is and Thailand are my top two choices. Yeah. See, I have a friend who's leaving for Thailand in like two weeks. She asked if I would go with with her. Um, Like I could travel with women. (laughs) Yeah, pick and choose wisely. I don't know her that well or well Mm -hmm. enough yet to travel with her. But Thailand was never on my radar because a, a lot of horror stories from illness to illness, yeah. <laughs> whatever, drugs and I've been, yeah. But I should never let somebody else's story deter me from experiencing something firsthand. And in the, the state that I'm in right now or the phase of my life that I'm in right now is I just want to travel. I don't want to feel like I'm held back by anything, you know, from that, from traveling, experiencing different cultures, learning, just getting to meet more people. doesn't mean like making, I'm not like, "Ah, I just want to make a ton of friends. I say I have very few friends, a ton of acquaintances, but find that in these interpersonal relationships or interactions, you learn so much. So it's hard to make deep personal connections when you travel a lot. A lot of it is surface level 
because it has to be. You're on to the next place. Yeah, that's very true. But you meet a lot of people doing what you're doing. How old are you? 40. 40. Okay, so I'm 42, and I've been doing this since I was 34. Of course, COVID put a snag in it. Yeah. And we lived in New Orleans during the COVID thing, which is funny. You, You said something earlier about... You decided instead to do a second line, and I thought, I wonder if he knows what a second so, line yeah, is. Yeah, I do, I do, I do. I know what a second line is. <laughs> because if I have one and a half <laughs> listeners, yeah, one knows what a second line is. Oh, yeah, yeah, second line dances, yeah. So dating when you're moving about yeah. so much, that's got to be hard. Yeah, it, it's, I, won't, I don't even want to say it's hard. I don't know what's going on with me. It's just, it's not a priority. Interesting. You know, I, I exited a six-year relationship the year before leaving for Miami. And in that relationship, we were actually talking about moving to Mexico. Oh, wow. And just things were just moving at turtle pace. Mm. Like we were each other's like kryptonite. It just wasn't working. Both of us weren't really living up to our potential. And the relationship became an excuse. So it's like we break up a year later. I was in Miami. And then (laughs) now I'm in Mexico. Some part of it, I felt like it left like a bad taste in my mouth. Like the the experience, but it's like I moved to the point where I just realized sounds cliche, but it's a blessing. Everything that you learn in every interaction in life, you may turn it 90 degrees and it's like, it looks terrible, but then you turn it again, might even be just 45 quarter turn that son of a bitch and realize, Oh, there's the blessing. So it took me some time. Cause I used to take, Oh man, fuck, like, ah, ruined this one or did this. And it's like, mm. Desire for a family someday. I'm in this selfish phase <laughs> and this selfish phase. Like I, I, I will not, I can't say never yeah. where I am right now. I'm just so excited to see the rest of the world, mm. to get better at what it is that I do to just stay relevant. And when I say stay relevant, touching on what you said earlier about like, just what AI is doing to change the world. It takes time to do your research and to do it well. And right now I'm surrendering to that. Mm. I just want to learn about this stuff. Like, companionship and stuff. I have good relationships, good conversations. So that takes care of like the intellectual side of thing. Yes, the sexual side, but it's not a priority for me. I've gone through the sex discipline thing, abstinent for seven months. So a girl wants to throw it at me. I'm not going to get that excited. Yeah. Some people are like, oh man, it's like, no, I'm sure I have high levels of test. It's it's this. I understand like I'm not going to, I'll hold you up on a pedestal based on your value and the value isn't just what's between your legs. It's rarely just that. What are you going to add to my life? Because after sex, am I going to lay there and be like, okay, I need you to leave? Or, okay, let's have a deep conversation. Or there's something about you that I want to learn or something about you that is inspiring me to be better. Or a quality that you have that I want. When you don't have any of that, that's when you want her to leave. Or when vice versa, she wants you to leave. Or he wants you to leave. Out here, like I had a girl... It happens often, or often enough for me to be like, what the fuck? But this OnlyFans thing, girls asking me to feature on their OnlyFans. Their paid porn OnlyFans. Oh, like yeah. provide like, the, yeah, like have the sex equipment. Wow. Yeah, have sex with them on their OnlyFans because they're OnlyFans. Stars. I've had three, three requests. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And like them saying, oh, it's, it'll be lucrative. I have a good following. You'll make some money. I got private clients who want to pay for to see interracial. Wow. That is so interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not hard. Yeah. That's not hard to turn down. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> he said that's not hard to turn down. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I'm like you. Like I, I always valued myself mm-hmm. and my mindset. Yeah. And I just feel like if you can overcome the urge, yeah, then there's almost nothing you can't do. Thank you. Thank you. And that's the thing. I went through that. My experience with the seven months abstinence was like, I didn't know how I'd be able to do it. But when I started it, I was like, sure, it's going to last a week. But luckily enough, stars aligned. I had a friend's friend randomly send me an email or not even an email, a pri- uh, whatever DM or private message on Facebook Messenger at the time. And it was this like 14 minute speech from this individual talking about the sex industry and so on and so forth. And after listening to it, I like this part of me that was like embarrassed, but then another part of me was like, I think I know what I have to do. (laughs) As corny as it sounds. And it's like, I used to make a ton of decisions based on sex, Mm. you know, pick a partner based on sex. And it's like, Mm. the sex was, it wasn't exciting anymore. Then you're like, okay, I don't want to be with this person. It's, It's a weird, I understand that that's, that happens, but I don't know if that's a healthy way to be in relationships. Yeah. It's like you feel the only thing they have to offer you is sex. It's like you're, that that shows that was what I, the only thing, if I would mirror that, that's the only thing that I was offering. Well, that's yeah. maturity too. I mean, you're 40 now. Yeah. So you would never pick a long-term partner based on sex. No, I mean, you're just no. so far beyond that, yeah. I would think. So Same with me. Yeah. I didn't get married until I was 37, almost 38. So there's hope. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. 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 And, and the beautiful thing is, is it flip flops, right? Women yeah. have all the power when they're 22, 23, 24. Mm. <laughs> and then they get to be 33, 34. They're competing with the 22, 23s. Yeah. And you have all the power as a 35 year old. But oh, that continues, man, yeah. as you get to be 45 and yeah. 48 and 52. And yeah. you go to certain parts of this world, they don't care how old you are, man. Yeah. I'm telling you. Oh, I can tell here already. Yeah. I have a discussion with them and I'm like, yeah, I'm 40 years old. Yes. <laughs> it's like I actually oh, see yeah. this like, shit-eating grin appear on their face. Yeah. Like, usually they say they can't believe that I'm 40. Yeah. But then the next thing is, ah, lick their chops in there. <laughs> yeah. I got a haircut here the other day. I've been going to the same guy. Like, I've been here two dozen times. Nice. And one of the reasons we come here is for dental work because it's about 10% of the cost. Yeah. So, my wife and I had a few things done dentally, and I'll get my haircut while I'm here. It, it, it had been a while. And the guy, I always tip him well. He has eight kids and he cuts hair. Yeah. And how do you live? Wow, right. Yeah. So, I, t- I tip him like an American would. And he shaved my beard this time. And I've got some some grays coming out of my chinny chin chin. And and he said to me, ocho años más joven. That means eight Eight years years younger. He thought I looked. And I was like, 30, 35, you know, 34, 35. I'll take that. So (laughs) he knows how to get a tip. (laughs) But you're right, man. A 22-year-old little chica that you meet at the gym yeah. would have no problem with dating a 40-year-old. In the U.S., that does not happen. Yeah. In fact, I met my wife at the gym. She was 22, and I was 35. Yeah. If she were not Hispanic, I don't think it would have worked out. In uh, fact, I know it wouldn't have. Yeah. There were no 22-year-olds at her maturity level that yeah. I had ever met. Yeah. And it was just because of the way she was brought up. And I, I just very much appreciated that. And we could have the conversations like you're talking about. And yeah. we had the other chemistries going. So 
My best friend in the world gave up pornography like three or four years ago. Yeah. And I remember him giving a talk to a, a baseball organization and telling those guys that he had done that. And I know that had impact on them. Yeah. And since then, I have started to talk about it more. Yeah. It's like, go to the gym. Yeah. Go to the track. Yeah. Whatever you have to do, you do not want to be allocating your time the same way that some backward kid in West Virginia that's yeah. 15 years old with a dip in his mouth. <laughs> you don't want to spend your time the same way he's spending his time yeah. 45 minutes a day. Yeah. Add 45 minutes up times 365. That's a lot of minutes. You have a skill that you could have learned that could help change the world. Yes. (laughs) So when you're 40, you're sitting with five kids with a construction working job that you don't want to be doing because you wasted so much time with pornography. But you and I know being about the same age, I mean... What would it have been like to be able to access all that stuff at 12 years old? Yeah, and that's, a big, that's a big problem. We'd be different people, don't you think? Big time. It's, it's, and it's just not just the access, but it's like the the volume. and the Endless novelty. Like, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's a, there's always something new. Whatever novelty. you want to see, too. Yeah, that's definitely changing. And it's a conversation that I, I tend to have a lot. It's like the influence that social media is having on the fitness industry. Okay. Talk to me about that. You kind of see that. Like I know there's, it kind of pulls us away from like the whole pornography thing, but it's like beforehand you had the big giants in the fitness industry who you pay attention to. And I'll just throw names out there that most people would remember, but it's like you had your Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dorian Yates, Dorian Yates, but then you in other, in, in the same industry, but different category, you'd have like Richard Simmons, you know, and you would have his at-home workouts and stuff like that. Now you have thousands upon thousands, perhaps more than that, maybe millions of fitness influencers who are teaching something. And a handful of them are unqualified. They're selling sex appeal. They're selling cringe culture in the name of fitness. And because of the, the soapbox that they're standing on is so, such a big one, Right. Like, let's say social media influencers are unqualified with a million followers and they tell people do X, Y and Z. Most people are going to just jump on the X, Y and Z when they don't understand the bias of that individual who they're following. And the credential is the credential is the million followers. Yeah. What I see is the my teachers, my mentors in the fitness industry and I'd say it's more than that. I have mentors in what I call the movement industry. Without movement, there is no fitness. So these teachers like Alex Effer, I'll plug these people, Connor Harris, David Gray, Pat Davidson, Dr. Pat Davidson, Kyle Dobbs. These individuals either purchase some of their content or have been a part of their mentorship programs or apprenticeship programs. Jonas Dodu, they're very good at fixing things and getting people stronger, faster, excuse me, I'm also missing Stop Chasing Pain, (laughs) Perry Nicholson, they're really good at what they do, but they don't have huge followings. It's almost like some part of it, I don't know if they care so much. They just love their job. They're masters of their craft. I'm watching them compete with the girl with the leggings wedged up her butt or the guy in the perfect gym outfit that looks fly, but because he looks good in his gym outfit, has you know a ton of followers. His hair is gelled right, and this, and he's showing off some peck, and he gets the followers. It's not his or her fault. 
or their fault. People choose who they feel like they resonate with the most. Yeah. But unfortunately, this day, it's not. I don't really see that it's about results. How do you overcome that? It's almost like you have to create a word of mouth business. That's what I did in Edmonton, Alberta. That's where it was for me. Social media was like I played with it. Nowadays, I'm thinking a little bit. I'm a little bit sharper on that end. I'm like, hey, if social media is there. Use it as it's a business tool. Playing with it. How many Instagram followers do you have? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, 168,000 Instagram followers. I'm just playing with it. <laughs> but when I say playing with it, it's like I would just post some of my strongman feats. Like there was a point where that's all I was doing was that. I would do a one-arm pull-up with 45 pounds in the other hand, and I'd post it. I'd do a 700-pound deadlift, I'd post it. Pull-ups with my girlfriend on my back, post it. Backflip, post it. And then I got into, hey, I want to describe how I perform these exercises. I started pasting voiceover edits on these videos and telling people, like, three rich cues that I use to perform the exercise efficiently. And then it trickled into other things, then into now a lot of collaborations. I had little to no collaborations posted before. Then I got into some funny stuff. That's where my heart is. I like funny and fitness and put them together. You should do yeah. more of that. So, thank yes. You. Yeah. If I can encourage you to do one thing, yeah. it would be keep doing funny with fitness. Yeah. I, yeah. Love, I love it. Okay. So my ritual in the AM, I call it the AM, the sunrise, is obviously you step out of bed. I do my little visualization thing, like what it is that I want to accomplish, or I even think about what I'm rising to. So it's like, wow, I've grown so much. And, you know, I remember when this was my life and then I find something funny. The yeah. next step, sometimes it's before food. I find something funny to watch or funny to visualize That's like good. a memory. And I just, I will laugh by myself. My neighbors are probably like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> but I'll laugh. And sometimes I will laugh so hard that I have to call someone <laughs> who will understand the joke. Yeah. It's usually my sister. Yeah. And it'll That's be awesome. like, oh my gosh, do you remember this? It's like, yeah, then you laugh, boom. That's a great way to start the day, yeah, dude. Yeah. If it's not gratitude, it's laughing. Yeah. That's the best way to start yeah. the day. Yeah, big time. Previously, my routine was I would I would get up and watch a Rob Deerdick's Ridiculousness. It's a TV show, but I started thinking more about it. I'm like, it's actually kind of twisted because in the show, a lot of people were getting hurt. Mm. You know, like the hitting the nuts with a ball or oh, something like yeah. that. That stuff still makes me laugh, but I'm trying to, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, yeah, grow up. <laughs> yeah. When you think about America's Funniest Home Video, yeah. Bob Saget, yeah. it was all like people getting injured for the most part. Like it wasn't serious injuries, but well, we're the, laughing at you. were trained to laugh at people getting hurt. You know the Galleria Mall in Houston? It's yeah, a pretty yeah, popular yeah. place. My favorite thing to do there is to go on the bottom floor and you watch, watch the skaters. <laughs> And I, yes, that is the funniest thing to me, watching somebody fall. And it, it almost doesn't even matter how old they are. Like, yeah. I see a four-year-old girl fall, and yeah. I'm just like, oh, you know, like, I'm not even in a position to ask if they're okay, so I feel bad, but it's just, oh, dude, yeah. People falling stories. cracks me up. I have two stories about falling. One, my sister and I as kids used to watch the Winter Olympics. We'd watch ice dance just for the fall. <laughs> just for if the fall. no one fell, we were bored. We're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> One thing I want to go back to, you, you've talked about multidisciplinary approaches to fitness versus fitness specialization pros and cons. Yeah. Those are some big words, and I'm a pretty good reader, yeah. but uh, could you explain what the hell you're talking about there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> multidisciplinary approach. 
some people think like fitness just exists in the gym, but fitness exists outside as well. I'm using fitness as a, I'm sure I could use a better term, but just to get health, overall health. Thank you. That's it. Exactly. So world health, multidisciplinary approach would be being on top of your food nutrition. You spend an hour in the gym training. That's good. But you also need to spend those minutes you take to prepare your food or to choose your food, prepare your food Mm. and eat your food wisely with the same amount of attention you spend to selecting your exercises accordingly and executing them properly. And then not only that. Sorry to interject, but from what I understand, the former is even more important because what you put into your body is more important, right? Ultimately, if you wanted to just live a long life, you didn't have access to training equipment or things that would allow you to add resistance to, let's say, to and perform movements with resistance, nutrition would be the thing, the only thing you have to fall back on. Some people can, and I won't say out-train a bad diet, but there are people who will have a diet that is like 50-50 or hmm. 60-40, 60% healthy food, 40% junk, and will perform optimally. I've seen it. You know, which I can feel. I don't know in terms of longevity how that goes, but I've seen some of the top athletes in track and field and a few other sports who ate like garbage. I'm sure you're familiar with Peter Atia. No. So he has the number one book right now on the New York Times nonfiction list. The book is called Outlive the Science and Art of Longevity by Mm. Peter Atiyah, MD. And Peter Atiyah is one of those guys that goes on Rogan and he goes on Lex Friedman's podcast and just a real smart dude and will give you a lot of Huberman type tips on longevity. Anyway, I just happened to see that somebody, I think it was Greenberg, one of the sports guys. Greenberg or Ben Greenfield? No, not Ben. I I know who you're talking. No, it was... Mike Greenberg, two days ago, posted on Twitter that he still reads the newspaper and drinks a cup of coffee, an actual newspaper, which I am a huge fan of. I still subscribe to regular newspapers. And his tweet says, also, yes, I still get the newspaper delivered. Those who don't will never know the simple pleasure of a cup of coffee and the morning paper. If that makes me sound old, fine. In this case, I'm positive it's everybody else who's missing out. And I kind of feel the same way. I just, I love the newspaper. One of my problems with newspapers is that I get behind and they start piling up. So when I was in New Orleans, I subscribed to the Times-Picayune, which is the local paper and the Wall Street Journal. You get two papers every day. You're not reading them all. They're starting to pile up under the bed and on the side of the bed. And my wife's like, you know, you got to read these or something. But what's amazing is I'll open up the Wall Street Journal. Let's say go to the editorial page and find three articles that are like, I got to read these. Yeah. And so I'll put them aside. I've got a box full of newspaper articles that I haven't read yet that are now two years old. Oh, and it just gets ridiculous sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes I save some really cool stuff. Like yeah. the Astros won the World Series in 2017. Yeah. Well, that's that's a newspaper I want to keep. Yeah. Or the day after 9-11. I still have that newspaper. Oh, wow. Anyway. All of that to say that he is holding up the newspaper and you can see the back of it and it shows the nonfiction list and Outlive is number one. And I was surprised to see it there because I hadn't heard of the book until my client told me this past week that he was reading it. They're all about longevity. Yeah, there's like another gentleman in the fitness industry who's, I guess, getting a lot of notoriety 
Nadi Aguilar. He has uh, his business is called Functional Patterns. He actually ripped into Andrew Huberman the other day. I don't know if it's like a tactic for him to gain, like to become infamous, you know, by attacking some leaders. Like he's even attacked Joe Rogan for his stance when it comes to the use of psychedelics and PEDs. Nadia Aguilar is like anti-PED, doesn't believe the general fitness patterns are helping humans. He believes that they're tearing them down, like bilateral squats, like dual leg squats, heavy to deadlifts. He thinks those are all destroying the human physiology and anatomy. There's some benefits, but if anything, it's not the way to go. Let me interject there because there is a post on your Instagram that shows people how to perfect the technique of a Romanian deadlift. Yeah. And deadlifts have become increasingly popular these Very. last few years. Very. Why is that, do you think? The load. The, the compound load. movement of it? Yeah, the compound movement of it. The area that it taxes, like it taxes the hip extensor muscles, the hamstrings, glutes. It has a global effect on the body because like your lats are, your back muscles are engaged, your postural muscles are, are squeezing hard in order to avoid any unnecessary movement and keeping good bar path so you can load the right tissue. So if there are a few general fitness exercises that one could perform, a hinge, a deadlift is considered a hinge, and it would be one of them. Nadi Aguilar and his fitness functional fitness patterns, he's more about like swinging, having the opposites of the body like mm. moving together. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Like that's running, that's throwing, that's striking. It's symmetry too. I mean, that's so, what you yeah. want to prevent injuries. injuries yeah. yeah. And, and I like his approach. I don't think that, but I'm more of a fan of the multidisciplinary approach to come back to the question. It's like, I actually have that stuff in my program, the running, the throwing, like I go downstairs at evolve and I hit the bag. I'm not like super proficient. I have a light background in martial arts, but I'll throw kicks, punches, jump knees, Elbows, spinning elbows, like just moving around, playing. Get on the ground, do handstands, cartwheels. And then you're, I'm upstairs, deadlifting someone's house. Overhead pressing, you know, three girls, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> I've I'm, seen that too, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm demonstrating these things in all these areas. And I think that that's the approach that I have long wanted to package. It's very intimidating because not everybody's like, oh, okay, well, you sprint, okay, I've never done that, but I'm willing to do it. Oh, now you want me to do calisthenics as well? Oh, I don't know about that. Then you want me to lift heavy? Oh my gosh, like, how many things is this? I want to specialize. Okay, well, you specialize. I could tell you, you're probably going to... I specialize in sprinting, I tear a hamstring. Hamstring injuries are common in amongst that sprinting population. It's an injury that's woven into the fabric of that sport. Hockey, high ankle sprains. Soccer, groin. You could point to a sport and be like, ah, diving, shoulders, wrists because when they rip entry. So you specialize, you're going to see some issues, hyper-specialization, but you have a multidisciplinary approach. You may not be the master of one, but I tell you, you're probably going to be better off. <laughs> yeah. This is crazy. Mike Greenberg actually has the number six book on the nonfiction list, and I didn't even know he was an author. It says <laughs> the ESPN host partners with his producer to create their list of top 100 sports legends. So that's why he did that, I'm sure, yeah. to show that he was on the list. Uh. And I didn't even notice that. I don't know if you remember, he did a segment with Mike Golick. Yeah. Remember Greenberg and yeah, Golick? Yeah, yeah. So that's who I'm talking about. But yeah, the multidisciplinary approach is self-care, self-management. So having some type of therapeutic input or some things in place that will help you grow in terms of 
your stress coping abilities or mental resiliency. Yes. You never want to do that work late. You rather do it and let it become habit and yeah. let those habits compound. Exactly. Having a, a focus on conditioning, having a focus on movement quality, having conditioning. You get out there, you're doing your runs or you're doing your battle rope work and you're preparing yourself for, for a fight, so to speak. But then fighting is just, you're just going, ah, you're just moving. There's not too much thought. You're just, you're an animal. When it comes to the movement quality, you're slowing things down and being more present, feeling what's happening. I feel this muscle here and that going on. So being present, this is where you're learning. You're not just demonstrating ah, battle ropes, whatever, sled run or sprint. You're grounded. Do you have any thoughts on the fact that so many people can fight nowadays because cage yeah. fighting is so popular? Like, you really don't know who you can fuck yeah, with nowadays, yeah. I've had right? discussions with people about that all the time. I'm like, you end up, let's say, I brought this scenario to a friend. I'm like, what happens when something happens and all of a sudden you square up with this guy or even my girlfriends, I've said this, you square up with this girl and she puts her hands up and she's protecting her chin and she's moving like left to right and she's angling like you're in trouble <laughs> like, you know? well my thing is like growing up if yeah. you were the athletic one if you were built like yourself yeah. or like i was when i was 12 which yeah. was more comparable to you relative <laughs> yeah. to others now people wouldn't f with you just because of the way you looked yeah. or if you did have to get in a fight you could make it quick you know with a couple of a lefts yeah. or just yeah, yeah. a jab and yeah. a, like a, a knockout or whatever yeah. there you go Nowadays, like if they get you on the ground and you don't know how to fight on the ground, yeah. you're screwed yeah, regardless break of something. Yeah. Break something. Luckily, I experienced that. Really? Train. Yeah. Yeah. I've competed. Oh, okay. In, uh, no gi, no gi grappling. Loved it. If I could do it all over again, I would still train the sprints, but I would compete in either freestyle greco Roman wrestling or just go straight to jujitsu. I wasn't a fan of the gi though. So I had a gi for maybe two days, and then I just, I returned it. But no gi submission grappling was like my thing. Yeah. Loved it passionately. Got a little bit of cauliflower here on this side. I can't compress this one. That's how far it goes. <laughs> this one, I, I took care of it. But I uh, broke this, my nose twice. And Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I, you were serious yeah, about it. It was good. Yeah, it. As a man, you want to be able to provide and protect your family. And I always thought, well, I want to be rich enough where I live at least in a gated community to where I don't have to worry that much about the house being broken into or whatever. Yeah. So a gun is good. Yeah. But what happens? I remember asking this question in the CHL class. I was like, if I went to Bourbon Street, because I'm not that far from Bourbon Street where I live, and it was a very popular place to go in college, and we'd go party there. And even my one of my good friends, last buddies to get married recently, had his bachelor party there. Mm. You can't bring a gun in any of those bars. No. So what good is having a CHL if you can't yeah. bring a gun in the, yeah. the only place you'll need it, probably, <laughs> in the next year? It's on those side roads walking back to your car that you're going to need the gun, but yeah. you would have left the gun in the car. So that always kind of bothered me about that whole idea of having a CHL, but then... Also, I think, well, I can fight. I can reasonably protect myself or my family, you know, if a guy attacked yeah. me or whatever. But if he gets me on the ground, I'm not trained for that. Yeah. You'd never know who's trained for that yeah. now because so many people you are. are doing, yeah. Yes. It's a thing, though. In street fight, I have a friend, Randy King. I'm giving, just giving him a plug. KPC Self-Defense. Very intelligent guy. He offers reality-based self-defense training. 
by reality based, you know, there was the old self-defense trainer who's like, hit to the throat, hit to the crotch, spin, bite them. Like, and it wasn't real. So that's why he called it reality based self-defense. He's talked about that. It, it, a lot of times, like if the fight's on the ground, you don't want to be on the ground. I think jujitsu practitioners know that too. They rather not be on the ground because it's like, you never know who else is around. You could be fighting one person and someone sympathizes for them and decides mm. to step on your head while you're going for a rear naked choke on the ground. Or the perception is you're going to kill this the person who's got you in a rear naked choke and, and someone just decides to kick you in the face because they think you're killing them. The jiu-jitsu guys that I know, I, I don't think they're quick to, if ever they get in a street fight, want to go to the ground. Yeah, Not a good place to I've seen some fights end there, but it's like... Have you seen anything crazy go down here? I've heard. I've just heard gunshots. Really? Yeah. Wow. And then the following day, I just heard that it was it was true. There was gunshots. <laughs> uh, there was a guy and his wife that were walking from the beach, like two blocks from the beach, right on the corner where we're staying. And the cops had the guy, Mexican guy, around the neck. There was a another truck like a police truck that was coming up the wrong way there was a median and then he crossed over the me like jumped the median and slammed on the brakes because there was nobody coming obviously the other way there were two cops helping these other two cops and this guy it was like he was on pcp which is the drug that you don't feel anything but i think he was just drunk and he was so mad and he was ripped and you could tell it was going to take more than two guys to get him corralled and and handcuffed and they threw him in the back of the truck that had shown up And as we watched them, we got a lot of insight because it was two couples that were at the beach Mm -hmm. and the guy that was friends with the guy that was being arrested, he had a little baby with him and he was telling us what happened. The guy and the girl, I guess it's his wife or a significant other, they had gotten a fight to where she had hit him and he hit her back. Mm -hmm. And then the guy that's talking to us, the friend, said that his wife called the police. So they're probably not friends anymore. Once they got his hands and his feet cuffed, they were kicking the shit out of him in the back of the truck. And as they drove off, the guy tells us, he says, they're going to take him to a place, an isolated place where nobody can see, beat the shit out of him even more, and then they're going to take him in. And I was like, wow. And this was at like 1045 in the morning. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Crazy. Was he like swinging on the officers or anything like that? Or No, he was just like really struggling. To, he was trying to get out of the handcuffs and yeah. he was on his back and throwing his legs up. Yeah. I guess because they were trying to cuff his legs. Yeah. And I was just like, oh God, we, we've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. It was right on. So we're staying at 5th and 38th. So it was on probably close to 5th and 42nd, like maybe yeah. two blocks over. There's an entrance to the beach right there, and it was two blocks up. Crazy. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like uh, two blocks right now, and then a half block over. You are? Okay. Yeah, because I'm on 40. Okay. 20. Okay. So, yeah, the other day I went to the beach and just like walked over to 38, walked straight down, and then I was at the beach. This is a great location. So we're used to going to Mega. We used to stay at like Ana Suites a lot, that area. yeah. But this is way better. Yeah, I was I was actually past the highway. Oh my goodness! Yeah, before I was past the highway, like three blocks. I've highway. never been on the other side of the highway. And I walked. I won't I walked go here every day. Wow. Yeah. See, to me, that's the other side of the tracks. Yeah, it was the other side of the tracks. It's all like locals for the most part. Where I stayed, it was a new development. 
Mm. Guys from, uh, he's Mexican, Mexican descent, but actually born in Mexico, but raised in Minnesota. And, like, spoke perfect English, and he's a big fight fan. So we watched the fights together. Oh, <laughs> cool. Yeah, but uh, he owned this complex that had, I think, eight units, eight suites. And, and I'll like, bet that was modern, like you know. $500 a month. Something no, like that. no, it was no? actually yeah, it was more expensive. Than really? That. So it was a thousand for a bachelor, fifteen hundred for one bedroom. No shit. But really nice. Like when I tell you, like I'll bet. Yeah, yeah. Could like, you see the water from the roof? No. No. No, that's how far yeah. you're. You're. It's on the other side of the highway, four blocks. So how many so blocks 60, is it to the highway? The highway is like fifty. Five fifty. Okay. Fifty-fifth Avenue. Fiftieth Avenue. So for listeners, the beach in Playa del Carmen, there's a one. And then it starts 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, all the way to, you're saying, 55? Yeah, I was at 55, but it continues. Oh, like, really? There's another Evolve Fitness gym Okay, that's on that side, and it's on 90th. Oh, 90th, wow. 90th Avenue. So I, I would go to that one from time to time. Okay. But it was kind of like equal distance, like walking down this way or walking up west. Interesting. But I would be drained. I'd sweat. Like, I'd probably lose three, four pounds of water and then be at the gym rehydrate workout yeah when you're outside here between 10 and 4 you look for shade to walk in yeah yeah because it's concrete yeah. everywhere yeah it, it hurts yeah it hurts but 55 you're saying is the main highway yeah i actually think it's 50 50, 50 okay yeah yeah 50 is the main highway so that's 10 blocks from the water roughly yeah, yeah. okay and it's so. it's average blocks it's not like giant new york city blocks no, no, yeah no. Just trying to give listeners a feel. So we're an hour south of Cancun. And if you went an hour further south, you'd go to Tulum, which I haven't been in a while. But from what I understand, has really come up as far as development. I say that's a place where you want to. I mean, especially last year where you wanted to have invested. We'll see what happens out there. Like I think it'll just continue to grow. But if. I don't know what's happening with the U.S. economy and like the dollar and its buying power and stuff. But if Americans stop coming here to, if less Americans are interested in coming down to Mexico to vacation, then that's injecting less money into the economy here. Which that's happening. I would assume would influence the real estate market over here. Like sure. Right now, things are getting expensive here. Really? Yeah. I've been telling friends like, oh yeah, this place. You know, we're renting this place for fifteen or sixteen hundred a month, and they're like, what? I was getting that for eight fifty or a thousand. Yeah, that's really? true. Yeah, and even people I know who are local are like, "Yeah, you got to get it now." <laughs> I started coming in twenty fifteen, and things have nearly doubled. It feels like. Yeah, there you go. And it used to be as you moved away from fifth, everything got cheaper. Now yeah. you got to get to basically like thirtieth before yeah. things get cheaper. Oh yeah, I mean where I was staying was a lot nicer when you get inside. It felt like it was an apartment in Toronto, like really? a high rise in Toronto. Like, wow. He did a good job of like outfitting the place, but it wasn't I'm paying the same price downtown, like Central, or where we are here, and it's a lot bigger. So, But it's older. Yeah, it's older. Do you have a rooftop pool where yeah, you are? I have a, there, I didn't have a rooftop pool. And you're in a studio or a one-bedroom? One bedroom. One bedroom. Yeah. I was in studio at the other place, like nothing else was available at the time. Mm-hmm. And then when the one bedroom became available, it was just like, I was kind of tired of walking yeah. all that way. You know, I had, I brought a scooter with me or bought a scooter or a bike that I probably would have stayed, but uh, I have an electric scooter that I had in Miami and I, I shipped it to Toronto. 
So I have like a, one of those Bugatti scooters. Oh, yeah. That's waiting for me, yeah. I love renting scooters. I've yeah. done it in Dubrovnik and Phuket, like yeah. Thailand. I've done it in Bali, of course. Yeah. It's not dangerous like I thought it would be. Well, Croatia? Did you say? Du- yeah, yeah, Dubrovnik, yeah, yeah. Croatia. Yeah. I've rented a scooter. My, my friend that I went with there actually wrecked his scooter. Oh. Yeah, he did a too sharp a turn and hurt his ribs and had to go to the hospital. And oh, wow. Yeah, so they can be dangerous, but yeah. as long as, I mean, I was taking well, yeah. it so easy because it was my first time, actually. But yeah. ever since then, we renting a scooter in Thailand is, is like a necessity. Yeah. Or Vietnam or one of those places. Yeah. And everybody does it. It's so scoots, yeah. yeah. We had a little scooter gang in Miami. A bunch of us bought those Bugatti scooters. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we were just having a good time. Some of the best nights, like, just grab the scooter. We're in Edgewater, and we would just scoot over into Wynwood, which is like Kinta. It's like fifth, like where all the clubs are oh, and yeah. stuff. And when what it used to be, people who are strung out would go and hang out and do drugs. Now it's like popping as like the spot where everybody, you want to go shopping, get some good stuff, or you want to go to a club, or you want to get some good food. It's all in the same area. So it, the, the foot traffic there is unbelievable. It's like there's a parade every day kind of thing. That's what it feels like. So we would just grab our scooters and scoot through there and you just see people you know talk to people whatever it's just even and, people watch and this is what 2022 yeah, yeah okay this is 2022 in uh, Wynwood, miami because i feel like a lot of silicon valley types either move to miami or austin yeah. a lot of brooklynites maybe yeah move a lot to of, miami uh, in the the neighborhood where i was the paraiso neighborhood very many many people from new york hear to tell by their accent and the way they behave <laughs> and the way they behave <laughs> yeah. the new yorkers i always find they're just very blunt i like that about them just straight it, to the point it's <laughs> funny you say that because being a former salesman like i've had manhattan as my territory and been warned like if you're not an asshole to them right away yeah they won't respect you yeah, you've, you've got to be witty in texas we're not like that like yeah. we're very understanding a lot of us speak with a drawl. When are you going to wash your car? Well, I don't I don't know if I'm going to wash my car or not. And then if you ever talk like that in yeah. Manhattan, it's like, dude, get the fuck out of here. You, know, you got to be fat. You got to be quick, yeah, witty, yeah. and they'll, they'll like you. In fact, the last time I was here, I met a guy from Brooklyn. He was like a 75-year-old guy that has a house somewhere here. Yeah. And I invited him on the podcast, and we just were never able to coordinate our schedules. But there was a guy on a... Netflix docu-series, the Pepsi one. Have you ever seen that where the guy tried to win the Harrier jet? You ever see that no, series? No. Oh, well, this guy reminded me of the guy on that. <laughs> anyway, did you ever think you'd be living this life when you were 25? I'll roll it back a little further. I thought I was going to be a professional wrestler, mm. like WWE or at the time WWF wrestler. Uh, that's uh, For those who know me well, they're most likely chuckling, listening. they're laughing listening to this right now. Because, yeah, for the longest time, I wanted to be a wrestler. Didn't feel like I knew how to do that. I did. But there wasn't really that support system to go in that direction. No one knew salaries of wrestlers back then. So it was like, oh, you're probably going to be broke. not going to make any money. Not mm-hmm. like I chose a sport where it's any different, <laughs> track and field. Yeah, I remember when I was young, I thought I was going to be a pro wrestler. Eventually, that turned into, hey, I'm going to be this forensic scientist wearing glasses and investigating crime scenes and stuff like that. And then eventually it was when I got into coaching in 2009, 2010, 2010, I got into coaching hockey players. You know, I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to be that guy with the whistle and the clipboard. And 
the whistle and the clipboard and that's what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Now I'm in this position where it's like I have gathered the attention of many people through just being myself and being myself, not just as an athlete, but as a fitness coach and people like what I have to offer. There's this time freedom that I have now, but at the same time, I have this desire to do way more. Like, I don't feel like I, I'm not doing enough. I am now making myself more accessible to the general population, not just the athletes. So that transition has been, is challenging in a good way. Like I'm excited about it and it makes me quote unquote anxious. It's not the anxiety, it's just anxious to get to those people and find out what, how I can really help them, what they need. Because for some reason people think it's different from what the athlete needs. You need movement, you need a lifestyle that aligns you with your goals and desired outcome that mm-hmm. you want. You need to visualize. I don't care about motivation. I had a conversation with a client this morning, general population client who I'm doing private coaching with. And the conclusion of the conversation was, let's get rid of motivation because he's been using it as an excuse. I'm not motivated today. I'm not motivated. And I said, check this out. I'm going to challenge you to get rid of that word. The word doesn't exist. It's not in your lexicon anymore. We're going to forget that. And we're going to use the word discipline because motivation seems to be an excuse or unmotivated. It's like, no, just it's the discipline. Remind yourself that you're dedicated to this and you need discipline to do that. Sucks to say this, but I don't care if you enjoy it. I don't care if you don't enjoy this. I want you to enjoy the bigger picture for the most part, or at least be so enticed and incentivized by the identity you're going to have as you get closer to you know to the end result or the outcome i like that my best friend and i who of course we wouldn't be best friends if we weren't both disciplined people who were ambitious and want to do well and want to serve others and that kind of thing and mm-hmm. i remember the first episode we ever had he was my first guest oh, and nice. i asked him if he considered himself a disciplined person and we, t- we had to talk about it and we don't consider ourselves disciplined people. It's just yeah. who we are after yeah. a while. It's just how you conduct yourself. And we've talked about that so much on the podcast that I won't go off on that tangent. But one thing you said earlier that resonated with me was what you do in the morning, how you make yourself laugh. So I have something, it's a 10 minute meditation on Spotify that I found and started using in the morning before you get out of bed. And everybody talks about morning routines, and I've never been super big on them, especially after I had my child, I had to change everything. Anyway, this 10-minute guided meditation, she talks you through like wiggling your fingers and wiggling your toes and moving your hips side to side before you wake up and picture what you want your day to be, and, Mm -hmm. and then you breathe in the positive energy and I know that sounds food, food of a bunch yeah. of people listening, but it makes you giggle that you're mm-hmm. doing this. Yeah. And I've sent it to clients and they're doing it now too. And so then we can have a laugh just yeah, exactly yeah. like you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And then I have this other client who's like, he just crossed a hundred straight days of journaling. In his journal, he writes three things that he's grateful for every day. Nice. You know what that can do for somebody? Yeah. Do you have a meditation practice? Yeah, my meditation practice is like my visualization. Okay. So, and that's like a very intimate moment for me, or those are intimate moments for me where it's mm-hmm. like I'm dialed in. And the way I dial into that is like comparable to like how I feel, the, the arousal, the excitement, how I feel when I was sprinting. Mm-hmm. You know, like for a big race, I'll recreate that feeling so that it's more than just 
imagery. It's like I can smell it, taste it, feel it. My heart's racing for it. You we know, have a I'm, lot in common. Yeah, and then that's like that where it's really too. rich versus like I'm watching it. I just need more sensory input with the visualization. And I find that that's the way that I manifest. There was a period where I felt stuck. Like I was in Edmonton living this comfortable life. I'll tell you, I'll swear when I say it, I fucking loved my clients. Like every single one of them. I got to pick and choose who I worked with. And I would say this all the time. I am so quote unquote lucky to have this tribe that I have of like every single, even the little kids who I was coaching, like every single one of them had like a, a rich relationship with them. For example, one day something happened and I, I remember just feeling so down and it was just like someone not doing, someone physically not doing well in my family. And I was just like, man, I, I was like worried. I went to work and it was like, I almost was in tears because I was just so happy to see these people. Like I felt down. So it was like this, usually I'd show up to work and I'd already be on a high. But I was just down here and I showed up to work and it just pulled me mm. right back to where I usually was. And it was like, holy crap. Like that feeling that I had was like, man. A lot of it's interaction is... with people. Yeah. Like my dad retired and was home for six months. He couldn't take it anymore. Mm. And he went and worked at a pool supply store selling like a pool supply, like maintenance store. Mm. But it just enabled him to interact with people who came into the store. And that was all he needed. Yeah. For You know, he probably works 25 hours a week, if I had to guess. But my dad is somebody who needs that interaction. Yeah. I feel like I, I'm... One of those people. Like yeah. Like, yeah. when I switched to the online thing, mm -hmm. there was a period where it was just like, the interactions shifted big time. Yep. And I'm like, okay, mm. uh, I'm working on the computer. I'm creating these digital products that are helping people. I'm not talking to many people mm. right now. And things got a little bit weird, but no. it's changed. When we're in Houston, I have friends, we're deliberate about having lunch with each other nice. because it's, it's so important. You know, the regrets of the dying, it's always, mm. I didn't maintain my relationships yeah. and, yeah. and we can see it in our fathers. I don't know if your dad is the same way, but they don't yeah. have nearly as many friends as you and I yeah, will yeah. have when we're their age and social media of course helps, but they just didn't. Well, they didn't have studies to show that maintaining relationships yeah, is yeah. so important at the end of life. Yeah. So what does it cost you to live here roughly? Like if somebody um, wanted to move here that's, let's say, late 20s and work from home from yeah. here, average what are these? range. I eat a lot. Or how about this? Compared to most, bet. my food bills can be pretty I can see that. So yeah. It's like I'm spending... The easy rate, like spending about $3,000 a month on groceries. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that's three visits to Sam's Club and each time spending quite a bit. That's a discount wholesaler. And, yeah, yeah <laughs> and just ripping through the food. And I don't eat as much as I did when I was in Miami. I was oh 245 God. pounds in Miami. So, Dude. yeah, I really ripped through food. And yeah. I try not to eat out. And prepare most of my food at home, which is another reason why the dating thing doesn't <laughs> go so well. Yeah. I have some food restrictions. Like mm. dairy, me and dairy don't agree a lot. And there's dairy in almost everything out here, you know, that I find. So that and then rent, let's say 1500 to 2000 And I'm talking Canadian dollars, so excuse me. I guess whatever. Let's say 1500 US and then 2500 or 2300 USD on food. So you could live yeah. 
here will oh, nobody's nobody no, no nobody eats food, yeah. yes yeah. nobody's gonna do that yeah i would say you could live on twenty five hundred dollars yeah. really well here yeah which yeah. is 30 grand a year yeah and so the thing the quality of life here like it's pretty cool here yeah. it's pretty cool like especially with you being this close to the water to the beach mm-hmm. i mean it does get pretty hot but you can run into the shade or you can get home into the ac if i signed a year lease I'm sure, I, like, I would probably be paying a lot less for, like, I have a friend who has a two-bedroom right off of, uh, he's on 1st and 12th, so he's right in the mix. Yeah. He's spending $1,000. He has a washer, dryer. I don't have a washer, so I take my stuff to the lavanderia, and that's... It's like cost. $7 to get yeah. a week's worth of clothes washed, yeah. roughly, right? So, and I didn't bring that much stuff with me, so I'm like, I'm always washing. Sometimes it's not a big load of laundry, but... I always have something at the lavandry. Yeah, Yeah, I can see that. I bring less and less stuff every time I come because I realize the athletic shorts that I'm wearing, I could get away with wearing these twice. Yeah, yeah. And you don't need more than about four or five t-shirts. And like you said, there's a lavanderia, a place to wash your clothes where you just drop them off. They weigh them. They tell you it's going to cost less than 200 pesos which is less than ten dollars yeah yeah just don't even fool with it let them do let it let them do it yeah yeah i've had some stuff come back though it's like uh, really like i like ruined I had a t-shirt yeah like i got this luxury t-shirt in miami mm, and you let them yeah. wash it see i wouldn't have let yeah. them I but i know from to, experience yeah i was like made sure that i hit it in the translator google translate memorized it even showed it to them like please don't dry this it wasn't the drying part. They didn't dry it. It came back. It was a black t-shirt and it came back pink. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, and it's like a $400 t-shirt. Yeah. It's yeah. like, here, have it free. Yeah, and you're yeah, like, no, like, oh, man, that's no, not what I'm yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. But whatever. It happens. Like, you just yeah. let go. I lost my Olympic ring. So I've learned to let go. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> you don't have a car. No, no, no. no car you wouldn't need a car need here. A car here. Mm-mm. No. You just walk everywhere. I'd say if anything, get a bike or a scooter. Or even yeah. a motorcycle, if you really need to, to venture out. The taxi, commuting by taxi is fairly cheap. Yep. As long as you let them know that you know the prices. Yes. Because they sometimes they can take advantage of you. Oh, yes. There's times where I've driven, I've gone by taxi, like maybe six or seven blocks, and they charge me 100, 100 pesos. And I know that's not a lot, but it's a local gets in the cab, they're going to charge a local 30, 30 pesos yeah. or at most 50 pesos. Yeah. When I first got you. here, I was just excited. Like, Oh, only a hundred pesos. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, five rides later. And then you tell a buddy, I've been spending a hundred dollars to go this far. They're like, Whoa, no, no, like, you're they, paying New York city prices. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, not again. I know. So, I've, I've been there, dude. It's, yeah. it's crazy. And they have been raising the prices slowly of everything. So like the haircut I used to get mm-hmm. used to be 80 pesos. It went from 80 to a hundred from 2015 to 2019. And now it's 150 pesos. Uh, so yeah, that's, yeah. that's nearly doubled. Yeah. So we'll things see. are going, getting up there and that's out on 30th now. So oh, wow. yeah, yeah. I'm not getting a haircut on fifth. Yeah, There's no way. Yeah, 30 still, still really close, though. 30 still bumping. Like, there's a lot of, quite a few barbershops in that area, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they all charge 150 160 now. But are they Mexican barbershops? I feel yeah. like those guys are, okay. I know there's a few shops where, like, they're, like, Cuban, Dominican. Oh, well, now that you say that, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. 
I don't know, because I've only ever gone to this one guy, and I liked him. You know, I really liked him, and he had eight kids, and I felt like I wanted to support him. Yeah. And I could give him a hundred percent tip yeah. if, I, if he was going to charge me four dollars for a haircut. Well, now that he's charging me eight dollars for a haircut, <laughs> he's getting a fifty percent tip, but I'm still saving fifty percent because yeah. I'd be paying twenty four at That's home. The thing. Get yourself in trouble when you keep thinking about the prices at home. Yeah. Because the prices at home, they are the prices at home. Here, it's a different standard. So there are times where I find myself like in the cab and the guy says 100 pesos and I'm not going far at all. Like I can see my destination <laughs> from the point where we're starting. <laughs> and then you go, oh, it's only 100 pesos. So that works out to be whatever in Canadian dollars. Like that's significantly cheaper than at home. Yeah, but you're here because of that novelty of things being cheaper. So exactly. don't have that mindset of, oh, I'm just going to throw I'm money away. Cause, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, because my first month here, I spent way more than I should have. Because I was just liberal, like, oh, boom, here's this tip. Here's a $100 tip. I was, like, handing out 100 pesos. Like a mafia boss? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, propina used to mean 10%. Yeah. The first time I ever came here, that's what propina was. Uh, Propina means tip, for those listeners who don't know. And it was understood that it was 10%. And I think that was imported from the United States. Mm -hmm. But if you go to an all-inclusive resort, they ask you, where are you from? And you say the Netherlands or France. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get the same treatment as if you say Canada or the United States. Because they know we're huge tippers Tippers, in Canada and the United States. Europe, they're not (laughs) tipping you at all. So you get a different level of service. The other night, we went out to eat. We were on 30th at a little Thai place. I was paying with a card, and she came with the little booklet and the device to swipe my card inside the booklet it had written propina suggestion 15 percent or 20 percent the service was non-existent they didn't do anything and i said uh 10 percent and she goes oh no sir um 15 percent or 20 percent and i said i have a rule like when i'm asked and i tried to do use my best spanish but when i get asked for a tip you usually don't get one mm-hmm. there is the most popular blogger in mexico that I've gotten into arguments with, he believes that you should be tipping like 35%. And I tell him on on his blog, what he's doing is, I call it the Warren Buffett rule. It's like, you've reached the top, you've climbed the ladder, and now you've left your ass in the air for everybody to kiss as you push the ladder down Mm -hmm. because other people want to retire here too. Yeah. If you start tipping 35%, they're going to start expecting that. Not everybody's going to be able to afford it. And so I just think he needs to be more responsible. He's got the biggest blog in Mexico. So that's like a million. He's probably got like a million monthly visitors or daily visitors. I'm not sure. But people are like, yeah, those people in Mexico, they're in poverty. They struggle. If you have it, be generous. And I'm like... To me, it it almost doesn't have anything to do with being generous. And I know that kind of makes me sound like an a-hole. I'm the guy, I have given a $100 tip at Waffle House. I've done that. I've had a girl run out of Cracker Barrel who told me her story of having lupus and cried and gave me a hug for the tip that I left. Like she's, but I have another side of me that's like, don't ask for a tip. Don't suggest 15%, you know? Offer it based on how. How yes. things went. Yeah, yes. I totally agree with you. It was that Mr. Sushi and same thing. This was a little bit different. The gentleman at Mr. Sushi was like there all the time, checking in on us, made some jokes, helped me with my Spanish. And it was a good interaction. And when it came time, I looked at the bill and it had 10, 15, 20%. 
you know, and he like pointed, like, huh? Huh? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah. the 20. You know, yeah. this guy was awesome. <laughs> Had he not asked, like, you know, I, my decision would probably have been the same for the 20. So he was really nice. I've been to some places where I'm like, I'm good to pay exactly what it costs for me to eat that food and leave. <laughs> yeah. You know, because like, I didn't even know anybody was working there kind of thing. Right. You know? That's how this place was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't I know who my waitress like, was. Yeah. I've had some places that were. Not exactly like that in Canada, but some experiences like that in other countries, or even the country where I was born, where you're like, I'm going to pay for this food and get out. So yeah. I'm not going to call it like, not to say that it's a Mexico problem at all. But. First time I ever went to Paris, I was eating on the Champs-Élysées, and I'll never forget, the bill came, it was like $62, and I tipped probably 18%, and I watched them huddle up, and they all turned and... <laughs> looked at my girlfriend at the time and me and just giggled and laughed and Mm -hmm. snickered and they thought we were so stupid because they get paid a salary of like 50 60 grand a year and (laughs) only an american would come and throw 18 percent on top of that so that's actually a place that's like my home away from home is paris really yeah you've been there a lot yeah i love that place really see i do not yeah i speak french Oh, that oh, yeah, helps. Yeah, I don't know. I just, there's something about Paris. Really? And the best part is anytime I get there, they open my passport and they look at my last name, which is Paris. And they're uh, like, oh, you're home. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. God, it's, here, it's weird to hear you say that, though, yeah. because my wife wants to know when we're going to go to Paris. And you know what I tell her? This is a whole of me, but I tell her on our honeymoon. Yeah. That, you know, uh, <laughs> we already had our honeymoon, but maybe 10 year anniversary. I don't know. But yeah. I, yeah, I think Paris stinks. I think it's dirty. I think the people yeah. can be rude. I do like the architecture, but I've also done it once. And I feel like once you've done it once, you've yeah. done it enough. But the flip side of that coin is that you could spend all day in the Musée d'Orsay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could. Like Impressionism, I, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. And I'll never get through the Louvre. There's so much to see. Yeah, there's, there's so much to see. Down. Yes. Like I, I, yeah, I, I haven't been to uh, Versailles. Oh, I haven't yeah. been to Jim Morrison's grave. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not dying to do those things. Yeah. I'd rather go places too, like outside of Paris, like well outside of Paris, say France in general. Like Saint Tropez is really nice. Nice, Cannes. Yeah. Uh, I had a really good time in a remote area, southern France, called uh, the Côte d'Azur. Yep. Or Boulevard Saint. I've heard of all these places. Yeah. So I'm going to hit you up next time. I, I mean, if yeah. my wife ever wins the uh, the argument, yeah. and we go, I'm going to hit you up for some <laughs> yeah. places to go. Yeah. I have such a good time there, and I'm a big fan of new style hip hop dance. Okay. But period, just dance in general, contemporary ballet a bit. But more new style hip hop and contemporary because it's like a, it almost seems like it's a hip hop dance has meshed with contemporary to create this new style. And it's the leaders of that style are in France. Wow. And they have a tournament called Juste Debout. And it's like the World Series of Dance that takes place over there. So I've become a big fan of a lot of the dancers within who compete in this, in these leagues. No, I can see you league. killing that. And I, I saw like, that post where you uh, where you blocked out your, oh, yeah, your, yeah. the front area <laughs> where you yeah. and and I knew you were an ass man by the way that you held your hands out. You held them out as like twenty. I mean, as far as you could reach. And I'm like, well, you got to have a serious ass to dance with somebody. You see what I'm talking about when you visit the real coach the real coach pal yeah. on instagram but yeah watch it what is it you're doing i forget 
The dance? Preparing for something like a Caribbean. Oh, yeah. It's an event called Caravana. It's okay. like a, a carnival that t- they have it in all over the world. There's the one that I'm going to in the near future is in Toronto. Okay. It's called Caravana. The, the biggest one is in Trinidad and Tobago where my parents were born. It's called Carnival. They also have them in like Brazil. They have them in Grenada. There's one in Miami. It takes place in October. I was there for that one. Nice. I didn't go, but I was in Miami for that one. I think it rained that day. The day prior to that was my birthday. or And we rented a yacht. And we were like out on the water and stuff. And it was just yeah. like a hectic day. I was on the jet ski and I flipped it like late at night. I wasn't supposed to be out on the jet ski like after sundown. The sun went down and I was doing donuts with a friend on the back who looked like was leaning as I was getting ready to do donuts in the other direction. So we just tipped the jet ski. And we flipped it, but every time we would get back on, we'd flip it again. Mm. And then eventually it just filled with water, so we couldn't flip it. So we spent 15, 20 minutes in the water, maybe less time than that. And the yacht was like 120 footer. So everybody was on the back, like watching us in the distance. By the time we turn around and get to them, it's going to take forever. Luckily, a couple were on their jet skis late and they saw us and uh, picked us up. But the craziest part is that like a week later, I'm out at this park, I meet this girl, and she's like, I'm not walking in this park anymore, allowing my dog by the water. So why? She goes, I just saw a huge gator in the water. And I'm like, no way. It's the same body of water that we were in. And then every now and then I have friends who are either on the boat or know about that experience who yeah. send me videos of like, hey, they found gators in that like, spot. Gators or sharks wow. swimming around in that area. And me and this guy were literally just like... <laughs> You know, just treading water <laughs> in the dark. Dude, we have lived parallel lives. Yeah. So did you think you were going to die at any point? It was more of a disbelief that I was in the water because that's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is like an open body of water and yeah. not being able to see the bottom or I know what's it. in the water. Sure. We just started laughing. We were both like concerned for our safety, but we were laughing like, I can't believe this is... Like, you knew you'd make it because yeah. you were strong enough to flip it and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'd flip it and then I'd get on and then he'd step on, boom, mm, we'd go back And in. that is funny. Yeah. And I, <laughs> at one point, I thought to myself, I was like, should I just leave it and then come back? Yeah. Well, and you could hold on to it too. Yeah, yeah. Right? Or did you have life vests on? Yeah, we had life vests Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. We had life vests on. Okay. Yeah. So the reason I mentioned Parallel Lives is because I was in the Zambezi River, which is the river that divides... Zambia and Zimbabwe. Yeah. And this was the first time that I had ever whitewater rafted. And the guy who's in the back, local guy, looked at the guy that was at the front left of the boat. There were six or eight of us in the boat. And then he's given instructions. He says, if you fall out of the boat, this is what you do. And they had taught us before we got in the boat what to do if you fall out, which is basically... You walk the boat with your hands until mm. you get to the end of it, and then that's where you come up. Obviously, mm. it's kind of common sense, but they yeah. just want you to know if you've never whitewater rafted. And to whitewater raft for your first time in the Zambezi River is a big deal. I didn't know that, but this is level four rapids or whatever, which is high. So anyway, he stared at me as he's given these directions, and I'm like, oh, no, got a little nervous. Sure enough, as soon as we go, and this rapid must have been like 30, 40 yards long. We hit it, and it's like there must have been two rocks next to each other with a divot, like like a crevice. And so it's like we smashed, and I came flying out and did a couple of 
turns to where I didn't know which way was up Mm -hmm. and there was no feeling the boat. I'm feeling like, where's the boat? And I thought, what stupid instructions to give because what if the boat's nowhere to be found and you're in this rapid that's moving like a hundred miles an hour. So anyway, I'm holding my breath forever. And when you hold your breath that long, you have to breathe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I just took a breath and I just breathed in all sorts of water. And I I didn't know what else to do. What do you do when you can't hold your breath any longer? Mm -hmm. So finally, I come to the end of the rapid, which felt like five minutes. It was probably 15 seconds. I really don't know how long it was, but I wasn't prepared to take a breath. I went under right away. So by the time I come to and I'm looking around, I see the boat a hundred yards behind me and everybody's in the boat like where's brad where's brad and i'm like i'm over here i'm over here and i really thought i was gonna die i learned afterward that you can probably survive being unconscious underwater for like two minutes up to two minutes or something like that i didn't know that at the time so i definitely thought i was gonna die anyway i look over there's a croc sunning on the deck right there like a rock and I mean, fuck? a 10, 12 foot crocodile. Yeah. Holy shit. I'm like, this is unbelievable. What the fuck? I couldn't believe okay, it. Yeah. 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 yeah wow. So very similar to your story. Yeah. All right. So let's do some fun questions. So since we just talked about death, let's yeah. start with this. Are you a godly person? Yeah. Okay. So you die, go to heaven, get a chance to ask God one question. What are you asking? What will I return as? <laughs> what will I return if I'm as? Reincarnated. What can... I like do that. I have a choice. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you had a choice, would you do life over again at that point? Yes. 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 You don't get to know what you know now. That's not an option. Yeah. But you do it again. I do it again. Okay. With social it's media brilliant. apps and being a creator as you are, we know you have to spend money. What's the most you've ever spent to advertise a particular post? Like to get the word out about a particular post? I've been cheap with that. Like the most that I've spent is like $40. Okay. You know, $40 on a post. So I had a, a guest recently who said that he's trialed with different amounts and he said unless you spend like twenty dollars a day yeah your shit won't get seen yeah and he said that's the only way he's been able to generate a hot lead and i said what's a hot lead and he said them filling out a form and i said yeah that that's a hot lead you know somebody's going to take the time to fill out yeah that's good information for creators to know how much you need to spend because i've done that too where i've spent like Six dollars a day here, yeah. and you think you get no? Yeah. You got They make I you posted, spend money. I posted my link for my VIP coaching in my bio. I was like nervous to do it because once again, it's like just working with. It's like the word of mouth community. But I posted it, and like people were just filling it out. And I had to close. It. <laughs> really, you got overwhelmed. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> so I was in that situation recently. So yeah. I'm a coach on Tuesday, Wednesday. I opened up Thursday because I had so many requests. Yeah. But that's tough to yeah. turn people away because yeah. you want to like, help I'm working everybody. working on systems right now with a company just to be able to handle more people. Mm. That's where I'm at right now. Like working delegating? With, yeah, delegating. So I have two nutritionists and two trainers. Perhaps I'm giving too much information, but they're going to be helping me. So I have, well, I have staff. instead Because like my manpower was very limited before. I would work heavy in the summertime during the off-season, particularly like hockey off-season. Outside of that, I can get a ton of work done, but... There's only so much that I can do. I can take on 10 private training clients 
10 new clients. And then once they get acclimated with how I coach and the systems and their lifestyles in order, then I can open the floodgates and take on a few more people. But that takes some time. That's like 10 people takes about six months. So then that ceiling boom is right there. But then you add staff, you add people can help you with certain tasks. If you ever need everything top to bottom, if you ever need a virtual assistant, someone who is inexpensive from the Philippines, let me know. Okay. Okay. We'll definitely. I've got several resumes for you of good, solid people. Even like video editing. Like I do all that stuff myself, record the content, take it home, edit, voiceover, boom, 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 boom. Unless you enjoy doing it, I I would offload that. Some of it is fun. Some of it is fun. But then other times I'm like, oh my gosh, I look at the time and I'm like, I just spent three hours sitting here putting together this video for social media. Sometimes when it doesn't grab, you're like... Yes. Uh, oh man. Yeah. yeah, I had a client send me a list of tasks that he wants to outsource just yeah. yesterday. And I'll let you look at it. Oh, I or maybe it. I'll send it to you. But yeah. what he's going to have me do is send it to the girl. So the first virtual assistant I ever had started her own little boutique firm and she's got all of her friends and their dream job is to work for an American or a Canadian because if you live in the Philippines, there's 7,100 islands. If you live on 7,046 of them that don't have tourism, $5, $7, $9 an hour, that's huge. They yeah. Their dream job is to work for an American yeah. or a yeah. Canadian. So. A lot of people who need a virtual assistant. Well, it's not only like I need, it almost feels free. And to wake up in the morning and have it in your inbox yeah. is a beautiful thing because yeah, yeah. they work on the other side of the world. Yeah, yeah. That's a good feeling. Yeah. So I'm wiggling my toes and yeah. looking at my inbox yeah. and I'm like, oh, yeah. 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 So have you ever spent money on an app? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You say, yeah, like you've done uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I spend money on apps, like especially like my competitors will spend money, you know, apps just to see what they're using, see what they're doing. Yeah. Video editing software, apps for my phone, because I can edit while I'm on the road or I'm sitting on the plane, you know, things like that. Even so, like like uh, meditation apps. Calm. Headspace. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like $12.99. Boom. Take it. You know what? I've asked that question to more than one guest and I've always thought to myself, I've never bought an app. And you just said meditation. I've bought meditation yeah. apps. Yeah. So it's like. I just realized yeah. I'm, I'm in that bag too. You're in that bag. Uh, what's the most beautiful place you've ever been? Oh, man. Part of me is, you know, like saying Australia, Melbourne, Australia. Mm. But Singapore is a close. Is really? A, yeah, Singapore is at the top. That was See, nice. That's so interesting because my wife wanted to visit Singapore more than once and we've skipped over it. Yeah. Like being in that area because I don't want to. And the reason is because... I have this sense that a lot of it is manufactured mm, yeah. beauty. Yeah. Like fake fountains and fake trees. And is that? It's a bit of that. Yeah. It's a bit of oh, that. Yeah. I remember a very serene scene for me was going to the track every day and looking up at the jungle. And it was like, where do I ever see this? I'm at a track, this really nice track of training. Mm-hmm. And I look up. It looks like a rainforest looking down on me. And it was just beautiful. Every... Every day that I go to the track, we'd go at 10 a.m., it would pour. So you'd have to like cover up for about 15 minutes. And then it would just be so hot after that. You could taste the condensation. And that would last for like an hour or maybe less. And then it would just be super hot. Like you need to be in the shade, but you're out there running and 
feel like you're accomplishing everything you need to accomplish. Yeah. And then you look up and it's just like, you just wanted to stay there. Yeah. And that, I think that was rich enough for me to have like such a good time in Singapore, Australia. Cause I met a girl <laughs> that helped the experience. And I was there for the Commonwealth games. I got a medal, bronze medal. Yeah. So the experience all together was awesome. And I met one of my best friends at Commonwealth games, Angela White, a Canadian Olympian, four-time Canadian Olympian. That's awesome. So it was man. a good time in Australia. Made just, some good places. Yeah. So. Have you been to New Zealand? Just the airport. Because the South Island of New Zealand, I would put up there in the top five. Yeah. The most beautiful places. Uh, and I've been a few places. Uh, yeah, just to Auckland. I, I definitely want to get back out to Oceania. Like, I'll do Asia, Oceania altogether. We actually started in Cairns, C-A-I-R-N-S. Oh, yeah, yeah. Australia. Yeah. And drove the entire Gold Coast yeah. down to Sydney. Oh, wow. And there are some wow. beautiful places there. Yeah. Wow. But we'll be in touch if you ever want to do all that stuff. Because I've never been to Melbourne. Yeah. You know, I would love to Melbourne do it. Melbourne was awesome. So you had narrowed it down to Bali and Playa del Carmen. Yeah. I obviously, I love it here. I've been here a few dozen times. Took Spanish immersion classes here. I even got married here. Wow. But I still would have chosen Bali. I mean, yeah. So. Proximity. Okay. That, okay. That I, answers the question. Yeah. The investment was not financial investment, but the investment of time. Like I was concerned. It's 22 hours. To get yeah. There yeah. From like, here. Man, like going to Bali, like I'm not going for two months. Like <laughs> I got to stay there for six. I'm not going that far. I was upset when I, it, it was, it took forever to get to Australia. Yeah. And then I was there for a month and coming home, I was just like, Phew. Next time I come this far, I'm staying for like the freaking year because yeah. <laughs> that flight sucks. One leg was 13 hours mm-hmm. and that was like LA to, to New Zealand. It was a 13 hour flight and I had already oh. done two flights before that and then one after. See, I'm a weirdo. We have a child now, so we have to take that in, into consideration. We can't fly that far. So yeah. it's going to almost have to be Europe instead of across the Pacific. The next yeah. time we fly, I was telling you I was invited to yeah. speak in yeah. Bali. I, yeah. I can't go because of my child, yeah. but... I like long flights. I love yeah. reading, thinking, journaling. Yeah. I'm upset when they're over. And that, that makes me yeah. a weirdo, I'm sure. There is something nice about the long flight. When the flight's like, I'm flying Toronto to New York, and it's, it's like this short flight. You're like, oh, gosh. Yeah. But when it's a longer flight, yeah, you do. I find like you can start to kick away some of the things that, some of the stressors, perhaps. Yeah. And it's like, it's easy to zone in on something. Yeah. There's not much distraction. No Wi-Fi. You know, so then you're like, boom, you get something done. Like, that's the time where I'm like destroying a book. Not ripping it in half, but like yeah. reading, uh-huh. ripping through a book. Yeah. Reading or it. Or writing something. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. If you could meet one person alive today, who would it be? Oh, my gosh. There's a number of individuals. Some people might get like nervous when I say this, but it's like, I would love to pick Malcolm X's brain. I want to know where he was coming from because I know they say like before his assassination, he had gone to Africa and he had changed his beliefs on certain things. So I want to know what he experienced in Africa that, mm. that had him, let's say, become like an enemy of his former faction. Have you been to Africa? No. Okay. Yeah, closest I've been is the Middle East, Northeast so Africa. Know, I have been, and I've been to remote parts of Africa. And what I came away with is the same feeling that I did when I read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yeah, yeah. I know no that other book. book have I felt as strongly about recommending to other people as that book. Going to Africa, no other place have I recommended 
to America, you've got to go to Africa by the time you die. Yeah. I just wish everybody could have that experience. Yeah. Because it will change you. Yeah. It has to. Yeah, it's on my list. It's definitely on my list. Very close to the top. Should so, be at the top. <laughs> so you dodged the question. Oh, yeah. So who would I? Well, Malcolm X. He's dead. Yeah, you said if someone who's dead. If you be one person alive today, who would it be? Oh, alive. Excuse me. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. <laughs> who's, I thought you said he was not alive today. That's why I was oh, like, oh, my gosh. So, no, no. Oh, one person. Right now. Boom, 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 boom. Who would it be? I'll go with the guys from Earn Your Leisure. Like one of the guys, Earn Your Leisure, EYL is a group of guys who are like talking about financial literacy. And they're, they seem to be really good, like enough that they're, they've, billboards are up in Times Square. They've been invited on Ellen DeGeneres show and stuff. And they're these, I think two guys from New York. There's a group, it's a group of three, but they're just, I, I just love how they're, the way that they disseminate the information about where to put your money. So and about financial literacy, because I, I wasn't taught any of that stuff. Like I was very bad with money prior conversation felt guilty about asking people for money yeah. in exchange for my services, things like that. So yeah, I just really like, I like what I like their spin on things and how they, they divulge the information. That is you know? such a great answer because so. I've never heard of them. And this show started as that, ah. but I never, they say the niches are in the riches or the, or the yeah, riches yeah. are in the niches. niches well, yeah. I'm not doing this for money. Yeah. And a lot of what I do is help to set people up for growth in all aspects of life, but primarily build wealth yeah. so that they can gain financial freedom, so yeah. that they can do what I'm doing. Yeah. They're after time wealth yeah. is what they're after, yeah. not just money wealth. And yeah. time wealth to me means you wake up in the morning and you can do whatever you want with whoever you want yeah. for however long you want, yeah. etc. So. The podcast has kind of expanded to encompass more things than just build wealth. It's more of a self-development podcast, I would say, because mm -hmm. people get a lot of good information, like what you just shared. Yeah. That's, that's great information. Yeah. If I gave you $100,000 and you had to invest it in Spotify, Tesla, or Bitcoin, where are you putting the money? Bitcoin. $100,000, Spotify, Tesla, or Bitcoin, you'd put it all in Bitcoin. If I had to put it all in one area, then yes, I hope it will be a coin. Okay. There were a lot of Bitcoin people in Miami, I bet. Yeah. Lot, huh? <laughs> and then when that, uh, when there was that crash, so to yeah. speak, there was a lot of vacancy. I would imagine. <laughs> I would imagine. A lot of people just disappeared. Like how many? I'm a lot sure of clubs lot got of quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I have friends who were working in the hospitality industry or own spaces and they're like, Wow, our servers are suffering. Like no more bottles. Yeah, there was a hit. Wow. Yeah. Would you talk to people that would say I have ninety nine percent of my net worth in Bitcoin? Bit, yeah, yeah. That in, the, a lot. in my building alone. Wow. And they were like eighteen year olds. Yes. Yeah. Unreal. Spending their money like unwisely, buying a thousand dollar stakes at Bayoli that come out in briefcase with the gold around it. Unbelievable. And then all of a sudden they're gone. They're like, yeah, I'm heading back to, uh, <laughs> heading back to Wyoming. Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Because Miami and, and Puerto Rico, I would say, became the hotbed for where those young Bitcoin millionaires went. Yeah. Yeah. Tax so you probably that. met a lot of yeah. those. Yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> but you never became one yourself, did no, you? No, no, no. Okay. Don't know. And if I did, though? I wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? <laughs> hey, man, let me hit you up for Zoom. <laughs> right. No. But you're no. not a crypto guy? No, I can't call myself a crypto guy. No. I've like dabbled in that arena. Not a big gambler. So that risk was like, it was up there. But anyways, 
during COVID, I sustained my like just my lifestyle for about five months playing around in that area. Can't say that I was like really good at it because if I was, I would have continued. Mm-hmm. A large part of it, I felt like I was doing, I was okay because of the people who I was listening to. Mm-hmm. So the folks from Earn Your Leisure, EYL, there's like other guys, Wall Street Trapper. There's a few others, a guy by the name of Him 500. I had subscribed. I, I was paying for like mentorship from some of these people. It was in their little, their programs. So some of it was like copy and paste on top of like reading. I didn't, the stocks that, I mean, it's just as volatile, certain stocks, but I found it was easier for me to play around in the crypto arena. Do you have a favorite book? Yeah. Favorite book is The Kabbalion by Kabbalion. Yeah, Hermes Trismegistus. Basically, it's just talking about the seven hermetic principles. First hermetic principles, uh, the principle of mentalism, that all is mine, the universe is mental. You have the second one, the principle of correspondence, that all is connected. Then there's the principle of polarity, that everything has its poles or its duels, its opposites. Principle of rhythm, everything everything has a swing. Every, there's a swing to everything or a cycle to everything. As you go down the list of all of these principles, you go to the second one, they're all connected. But it's like you start looking at life with each one of those lenses. Like all is mine, the universe is mental. Oh, okay, like we hear these aphorisms, like the things you give energy to are what you are going to be attracting. Where your energy goes, things grow. Okay, this principle principle of mentalism, everything's connected, correspondence. I'm connected to you, you to me. Then you can look at the principle of cause and effect. Okay, well, my interactions with you are corresponding and they can influence in such a way that it can change the cycle of life. The butterfly you know, effect. Yeah. I just fell in love with the book and I, I've been on a few podcasts and like, that's the book that always comes. It sounds like it's the only book that I've read, <laughs> but that's the book that stands as like one of the most solid reads. That uh, name it again so they don't uh, have to rewind. The Kabbalion. K-Y- yeah, K-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N. By Hermes. By Hermes. Yeah. I mean, it's really not by Hermes, but someone who's just kind of broken down these principles. Who's funnier, Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor? Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy or Dave Chappelle? Dave Chappelle. (laughs) What's the most you've ever gambled and won? A monogamous relationship for a threesome. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> a monogamous relationship for the, the most he's ever gambled in one. Why oh, sorry. You, I should have said a boring monogamous relationship. Why do you think men have much less testosterone than they did 15 years ago? Is that actually true? They uh, say it. Who knows if it's like that's what they're trying. They're trying to push that narrative. It's like an example Okay, they'll say like a uh, black on black crime is at an all time high, and then you look at white on white crime or Asians on Asians. And actually, I don't even like the crayon theory <laughs> of like black white. But if you're living in the same community, who who else are you going to commit a crime yeah, against? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it, it's just as common in all the other communities. It's just that narrative is being pushed, so then it draws your attention there, and then you're like, oh my god, that's where the problem is, mm-hmm. and then it just precipitates people's actions. So I feel like there's a potential that. They say, hey, testosterone levels are dropping. They're at an all-time high, all-time low. I don't know if it's true or not, but I do know that the more they say it, the more it will become true. If because it I think people true, are, what yeah. would it be attributed to? Stress. More stressors in the environment or more things for people to stress about. And I don't just mean in the environment, like in the air, air pollutants. It could even be social media and the problem that people have of comparing themselves to others now, like too many people. The amount of people we see now 
versus who we saw before is astronomically increased. And then now it's like, oh my gosh, my girlfriend's looking at a guy with abs or the boyfriend's looking at a girl with a big butt. Mm. I've been in that situation before. My girlfriend was like, I noticed you like this girl's picture. And the girl's like half naked. This is a girl that I knew and I was just proud of her. She looks good, but I was also proud of her for posting this implied nude because I knew she had problems with her her identity or who she saw herself as. And she was kind of ashamed of her body. Do you have a bucket list? Things you wish to do before you leave this earth? Yeah, actually, I wanted to attend here. wanted to attend a a Mexican wrestling (laughs) event. So I think I need to go to like Monterey or Mexico City to do that. But I've befriended a a Mexican wrestler who's popular here, Dr. Wagner Jr. He actually wants to train with me. So we'll figure it out. I'll get down to either Monterey or Mexico City, do some training with him, maybe even say, hey, teach me some things. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe make an appearance. (laughs) Love it. That's one thing on the bucket list. You know, Tim Ferriss asked this one question to everybody on his podcast. If you could get a message out to people on a billboard, what would it be? Do it like you mean it. Do it like you mean it. Yeah. So Nike has just do it. Mm-hmm. And I like that. And I'm kind of plugging myself right now in something that's going to happen in the future or a project that's coming up. Mm-hmm. But Nike's just do it. It's an incomplete sentence if I could say that, an incomplete motto. So I added like you mean it because it's like, just do it. Well, how? Just do it. Get yourself involved in it so much so that you're so, you're very present. So the sounds synonymous with do everything like you do anything. Yeah. Similar. Like you do anything. Yeah. 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 It's like, just like you mean it. And so I played around with the Nike logo. It's, you know, got the swoosh. The head of the swoosh, I've replaced it with a thumb. <laughs> so it's like a thumbs up. Yeah. And it's got two meanings in there. One, it's, it's kind of like highlights the, the influence that social media is having on our lives right now. Like the thumbs up like thing. Some people seeking validation, but also supporting someone. Yeah. Thumbs up, like good job. And then the, the other part of it is like, I now take the like and I'm blending it into something else. Like you mean it. So do it like you mean yeah. It. So Nike has just do it, and then I haven't used that in my graphics. I just have the thumb, and it says like, and then you mean it. Love it. So instead of Nike, I've got a bunch of merch. Yeah, and that's gonna be I'm gonna be dropping that soon. Oh, that's the side hustle. You yeah, mentioned. yeah. Very so cool. I used to upcycle clothing and footwear. Like mm-hmm. I would take vintage clothes and I would just give it new life. And I've had three fashion shows in Canada. Pretty good following. I've got a big NBA player who's a friend of mine who's promised to, or I shouldn't say promised, but is going to be wearing some of my stuff at some point. Very good. So he's in the playoffs right now. Have I heard of him? Possibly, yeah. Rui Hachimura plays for the Lakers. Okay. Yeah, so put up 29. I think I was telling you, yeah, put up 29 points in game one and 20 points in game two. He got traded from Washington. I think he's happy where he is right now. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. We were neighbors in Miami. Oh, okay. Yeah, saw a lot of each other, hung out. You know, that's the thing I tell people. Sometimes you have to spend money to get around a higher caliber of person, but be deliberate about it. Yeah. So usually I'm using it in the context of a gym. Like Mm -hmm. in Houston, you can go work out at the $10 a month Anytime Fitness. Yeah. Or you could spend $85 or $200 and get around a higher caliber of person and befriend those people. So. Spend money deliberately is what I tell them. Yeah. Be smart about how you spend it. And they say don't go cheap on education. Mm. Don't go cheap on education or food. 
But I say food is education too. Yeah, <laughs> and you need education to choose good food. Well, you know, the three biggest expenses are housing, transportation, and food. And food, yeah. $3,000 a month is going to be hard for people to... Yeah. I mean, if you had a family, yeah. and you were feeding them like you were feeding yourself. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm going to the track, and I'm going to the gym, and I'm trying not to lose weight. Like, I've lost weight, you know, so you can tell, like, my energy expenditure is higher than my consumption. Yeah, you would have, it's easy for you to have a calorie deficit. Yeah. And you need to. Yeah. I'm like stabilized at 225, but I was like 235 and a bit malnourished before I arrived. Just because my life over the two and a half weeks was pretty crazy mm. between New York to Toronto and then eventually here. Mm. Like it wasn't stable. You know, Miami was stable for me. And then it was like, boom, here, there, boom, 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 out. That's the thing, man. Eating right is so time-consuming. Yeah, yeah. It really is. It is. Folks, if you want to visit him, as he said, he is Coach Powell on Instagram. Uh, yeah, the real, the real. The real Coach, Coach Powell. Powell on Instagram. And as you know, you can find me at man underscore overseas. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. My email is contact.manoverseas at gmail.com. Uh, if you're interested in coaching on the physical nutrition side, Coach Powell's your man. If you're on the business, investing, relationship side, I might be your man. Check us out. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, folks, for listening. I really appreciate it. I don't have a show without you. Thank you. <laughs>